wonderful game of the year. We got stockings and stuffings and stockings and stuffings and stockings. I don't and... know the words. There's a... Oh, we um, got tie. Yeah, you're right. I don't know the words. Uh, it's It's that time of year again where we do... Uh, the Game of the Year podcast, a format which has been stolen from us by uh, some of our favorite gaming podcasts. But this is still our format. I want to say that eventually everyone will adopt this format, uh, ripping it off Giant Bomb that has unknowingly ripped it off us. Um, and I assume, I don't know, maybe no, I someone think, else. I think Ben Pack listens to show. Ben Pack might, yeah. I, I mean, I, I, I was trying to think. I was trying to like think who would listen to it, and if I had to really guess, even though like I know it's not true, but if but if but if someone were to tell me, oh, do you know that Giant Bomb has a member that listens? I would feel like it would be Jeff. Jeff likes weird things, and I could imagine him just being like, yeah, Jeff I, Gershman or yeah, Bacalar? Jeff Jeff Gershman, just like I for whatever reason, like just like maybe he would find it relaxing to listen to a. Uh, podcast a video games podcast that isn't his you know yeah maybe he'd be like oh, i have a lot of weird opinions i just i want to i want to listen to someone else put their stick their neck out yeah the only on. problem is that i the the crossover of games that we play that jeff gersman are you cut out for a second uh cut out he definitely definitely likes genshin impact mm, he he didn't he kind of actually but he doesn't know he does i mean it he unironically likes genshin impact i well i i I don't know if, if you've... I, I kind of listen in and out, but there was a Genshin Impact episode, and he talked about it for quite some time. But I don't, I don't know if he's Impact. still... Is not, he still I'm playing it? I don't yes. know. Yes, he likes Genshin Impact. Oh, they, they had a huge update yesterday. New air, brand surprising. new area. Um, It's like a snow mountain. And That's how they get their money. They update yep. the game. Um, But we're here to talk, to talk about our format, and our format is uh, we go through the year, month by month, and we talk about releases that we cared about. Yep. Hopefully we don't miss any. Um, there will be some discussion of games that maybe didn't come out this year as well, uh, that maybe we played in a certain month or an expansion that came out in a certain month. And that's all fair game. The good thing about uh, this being just the two of us is that uh, it's the rules are ours. Yeah. We, we make the rules. Uh, there is a lot of games we, we do miss because we don't talk about games that aren't interesting or we have... Like, we, it's not worth it to talk about because I'm looking at... Yeah, some and, of these and we also don't talk about games that we forget. Like yeah. we just totally forgot about some games. And if there, and yeah, if there's a game on here that is like that, I completely forgot having tried to skim, even though I, I forgot Noita. Um, I'm gonna throw in. I'm gonna throw in an extra game into um, April. I'll throw just throw an extra game in there. It's kind of it. The, the, I think the more interesting thing when I when I was looking over this list of games that came out this year and the the timeline of it, I think one of the more interesting things to talk about is just the year because that is probably it's so hard. Do people so want to hear about the year. It's so felt in this year. I mean, there's important things related to this year. Um, the rise of certain games, like I wanted to, like I don't know which which order we want to talk about some of the things, but. Uh, the, like some of the important games this year that didn't launch that I like wanted to maybe spend some time talking on maybe in like a wrap up is like Among Us. People were playing a lot of chess this year. Um, yeah, there's there's a lot to talk about. And do we do we include board games? I feel like do we just leave board games out because we played some board. We games. We played some board games, but it was also it was a weird year for board games as well. This is Corona. I'm gonna year. I'm, I'm gonna, gonna put I'm gonna put some board games in here. 
least on the off chance that um that that like aliens are listening to this as a time capsule they're like they're like the only thing we have for whatever reason is uh episodes of this podcast uh and they're yeah. they're looking back on it future generations uh then it should be said that this was the year of the great disease which is what oh we that's what, that's what we call it in this this year the, oh uh, man oh man the, the, oh so, the so famine. do we talk about the year up front maybe we talk about the year up front uh so fans of the show will know that 2020 was the year of COVID-19. Fans of the show uh, know that, that that that's what's going on. This is the narrative that we have, that we use. Yeah, fans of the show will know that COVID-19 uh, struck the foundation of not just the U.S., but also uh, the the global consciousness, right? Indeed. That's something that fans of the show know. Uh, but Fan, that changed yes. a lot of things for, for gaming, right? Um, not only were games played in quarantine, they were made in quarantine, right? So a lot more people were playing video games. Uh, social video games became really, like they exploded this year. Like obviously social video games have always been a thing, but I feel like this year more people were talking about games like Among Us and Animal Crossing uh, than than I've ever seen before, right? Yeah, I, I, I noticed that it's a lot of like those much more simplistic games that are 10 second rule teaches kind of started to crop up a lot this year your fall guys your um animal crossing like I guess it's not necessarily like easy but yeah the, any no. things like that go i yeah we were playing we played some go that was a little moment um chess was a moment for a lot of people that's not a, that's not a necessarily a simple. but the gaming industry pulled in 33.7 billion dollars which was, I think I had the number for how many more, how much more money that was that's, compared uh, to 27.9 billion. And that's the first um, nine months of the year. So um, huge year for gaming. Actually, if that's in the first nine months of the year, that doesn't even include the new consoles. Um, obviously, like PlayStation Cyberpunk. 5 and Cyberpunk it doesn't include Cyberpunk 13, either. 13 million copies of Cyberpunk. Wow. So... So huge year for gaming, and that's all. And like I said, yeah. So we don't even know. Like I, that could be almost doubled because we're that we're leaving out the holiday season, the consoles, Cyberpunk, and it's still it's still up, it's still up like six billion. So so big year for games. I can imagine a lot more people getting into it. I, I, I'm I. It does make me excited to constantly. Fortnite. I feel like was when I started hearing that like uh, high schoolers just like regardless of of like gender any just everyone was playing um uh fortnite and it's kind of cool because i i feel like getting people to see the medium at an early age might uh get people interested in other things and when i was yeah when i was at a like a hanukkah last year my um little cousin like a like a like a little little cousin like 12 years old was like super into Fortnite and knew all the Fortnite dances and was playing Fortnite on her phone with her friends. Yeah. It's really cool to see that like be so normal and growing up when that was very stigmatized. That was very like boys play video yeah. games and it the was a nerd thing. The craziest part about it for me also is Fortnite is not simple or easy. Yeah. It is weird because it's like it's daunting to me. Like I've never even played it and I, I think like the, the ship has sailed because of all the and be like quick rapid building kind of thing going on fortnite is cool man i yeah, it I seems like, like a pretty fortnite. okay game i i don't i don't have anything personally they got master chief in it now 
They got Kratos. They got, they they got Kratos, Kratos and Thanos. and. But yeah, for us, it was an interesting year because, you know, I, I think that this is the year that really brought our group together online. Uh, you know, we had a lot of people playing Valorant, obviously. Among Us, Phasmophobia, Apex Legends, like, people got together. We, we even tried, like, Dead by Daylight, like, tons of Jackbox. Like, we... We got people together this year in a way that was very challenging before. Yeah. Uh, it helps that, you know, everyone's uh, more stuck. Some people are they're stuck inside. Some people are out of work. Everyone's working from home, except for uh, poor Kirby, poor Ryan Kirby, who's out there on the front lines saving people's lives. Right. Doesn't even have an OnlyFans. Doesn't even. I need to get uh, an OnlyFans. Um, so, well, weird, weird year. Um, and as evidenced by some of these. Uh, looking at some yeah. of these months, like there's something like some of these months have one, like one nothing. thing that's kind of crazy though. I'll, I'll tell you this. Uh, I love this year uh, for video games. A lot of good things happened this year, and it was. Uh, I don't like being outside very much, uh, and it was cool to stay inside and play video games and not feel guilty when it was like a beautiful day out. And it's like, yeah. well, gonna stay inside and play video games because it's dangerous out there. Mm-hmm. And there was something kind of pleasant about that. I, I, it, I also, you know, I, I feel somewhat guilty for thriving this year. Um, I mean, there's, there's no reason to, to feel guilty. That, like, to, to, for you to feel guilty, you know who should feel guilty is, like, Jeff Bezos. Yeah, the Bezos. Basically him. Like, 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 the Republicans should feel guilty. Democrats should feel guilty, too. Just everyone else should feel guilty. Like, anyone else shouldn't feel guilty. Everyone but me. Mm-hmm. Well, any of the normal people that are that are not like multi billionaires that like I don't know every once in a while I hear a story of like multi billionaire shares scraps of their money to let one person survive with life saving insulin and it's like good for you what a horrible system we have that that's that this is an impressive thing so KFC is making a console a video game console you see this have you heard about this called the KFC like KF console KFC I wonder, like, I wonder what the logistics of that. Like, will they make? Will anyone else make games? With, will like, what will? It is a, it's a PC shaped like a bucket, like a like a okay. KFC bucket. All right, so it's just they're just making a PC. But they refer to it as a gaming console. All right, because I guess that gets better headlines. I guess so. Other than KFC, because well, gaming console implies to me that like they the same like a PS5 or an Xbox, like they're creating a console that will have its own discs and UI and every like uh, OS and everything. But the other thing that's crazy about uh, this year among the many things is uh, new consoles came out and new graphics cards came out. And because of the the pandemic, it was hard for them to produce and manufacture uh, consoles and graphics cards. And because so many people were at home, there was such an outrageous demand. So, a lot of people still just don't have them. A lot yeah. of people just aren't going to have PlayStation 5s and, uh, you know, Xbox Ones for, for Christmas. Pretty sad to think about, uh, especially since there's more and more people getting into the, the hobby. And I, like I said, I really love that. Like, I love people, as more people get into it, maybe we'll see more interesting, diverse games that do more. Like, I, I feel like that only helps. But it is sad that there's that there's few uh consoles out and that a lot of like another the other narrative of just like how it's not really a narrative it's true but like scalpers um how how it's kind of just like this grinchy kind of thing where uh 
so many kids want this console and there are people just like anything else that kind of ruined it by buying tons of them and then reselling them for like a thousand dollars yeah and it's worse now than ever because it's easier than ever to create a bot yeah and like so it, it creates like this divide of anyone who wants to put in a tiny bit of work uh can create a bot and scoop up consoles but yeah and there's no reason almost, not to almost because like you know you'll make your money back yeah like it took me uh like um a couple hours of trying with a bot to get myself an RTX 3080 graphics card, which is $700 to buy. But if you go on like uh, Amazon or eBay and you try to sell it, you get like $1,100 for it. Yeah. So in a couple of hours, I could have made $400 by just taking this and flipping it. Um, but that's not what I'm about. Like I'm, that's not me and that's not how I want to spend my time or my life, like making the system worse for everyone. Yeah. Like if you do that, you're just making the system worse for everyone. Like someone wants that and you're essentially taking it away from them. And the, it's always frustrating because it's like, you're not adding value. You're just, you're just like a, creating a like unruly middleman that like also, mm -hmm. I hope that like that my only hope is that they can rapidly like tell people like, I'm sorry, it's the holidays, but like hold off. And then they can just make more consoles to drive down the prices to the point where it's like, why would I buy full uh, an overpriced console when I can get it in stores now? And then just, yeah. and just ruin those people. But yeah. But we're here to talk about games, we're right? About so, games. but that was a lot. So let's start going down the list um, and starting with January. And we're not, we don't have a lot of games, right? Yeah, so, there's, there's really uh, that, that. The other thing that I guess I wanted to say is like, I w I'm looking back on it and like, I don't see as many good games, but I'll talk about that more later. Like, I don't see, like, I, I almost struggle to make like a top five of a lot of these. But, but the first game here is such an amazing game. Uh, and that is Monster Hunter World Iceborne. So how much of this did you play? Because I... Uh, probably around like 80 hours or so of Iceborne. Of Iceborne. Of Iceborne. Just, okay. Yeah. I played a, a, a ton of Iceborne. Uh, I didn't finish it because Iceborne doubles, more than doubles, I would say, uh, the size of Monster Hunter World. So so let me tell you a little bit about, about the addition to Monster Hunter World. Monster Hunter World, I think, is um, unequivocally the biggest and best monster hunter right it's it's gorgeous it's on consoles that people actually own and and it's actually got like pretty decent tutorials pretty good onboarding uh it's, it's kind of like a, a very simple story but it's enough to get you through it and also by far is the most um it most lives up to the i think some of the promises that a monster hunter as a series has had for so long but maybe uh hasn't been able to realize that and that's like having these ecosystems in a more uh lively feeling world like there's been hints of that and i feel like that has been they have been trying to make you feel like oh you're going to go out into the world and just see this giant monster and like do what you could to like take it down the way that like early humans would take down a mammoth but now they've done such a better job without you know every area being broken up constantly with loading and tons of non-aggressive monsters and different areas of the environment and do different things like they've done such a good job in making yeah, this really and, lively and so, environment and some of my favorite part is just that there are all these um like rare like there are these little creatures like there are like bugs and like little like rabbits and stuff that are just like around the environment and you have like a net and you can catch them and create like and then like at your home base you could like create like a you could like essentially put them into your room. Like you could have a collection of these small creatures 
and there are some of them that are like rarer that you have to like do certain tricks to lure them out like pokemon snap style there's there's a uh, fishing of course we love the fishing and uh but iceborne specifically it adds one new map uh, one new major map and then a smaller map it adds uh, a couple of tiny little areas to some of the other maps it essentially doubles the roster of monsters adds tons of new uh, weapons and armor obviously every monster that's added to the game you get weapons and armor for it uh new perks are in the game and also a new mechanic which was the clutch car which is essentially like a grappling hook uh which essentially allowed you to be more mobile because you could use it to just stick onto the monster like like just essentially just grapple to it and then just like bash it uh and with that it also added a bunch of it added new moves and new mechanics to every single weapon uh, so the good thing is that this made the game mo- more mobile. It made the game more fast. Uh, obviously, it increased the challenge of the game because uh, this is end game content for Monster Hunter, where it's essentially just like, I don't know, it, it adds like, I can't even say like 60 to 80 hours of the game if you're just like 60 hours if you're mainlining it, probably it adds like so much content. And it and it's not just like recycled stuff, brand new monsters, brand new monsters, and, you know, like the brand new areas in space. Yeah. I will say one bad thing about it. Um, so there's a clutch claw mechanic where essentially you grapple onto uh, a monster and you there's a move that lets you essentially like rough it up and create a weak spot on the monster. And it's a little bit problematic for me because it essentially just added another mechanic to a fight that you always have to do. Where it's like, okay, all the monsters are really hard, so you always have to be creating a weak spot. Because if you're not, then you're just losing out on damage. Uh, It's actually very similar to a problem that happened in Borderlands 2. Borderlands 2 had this um, element to weapons called slag. And a slagged enemy would always just take more damage if they're afflicted by the slag effect. And in high-level play, this obviously meant that no matter what, you're always just carrying a slag weapon so that you're always applying slag before switching to your main weapon. And that's an interesting mechanic every once in a while, right? Like, so that's interesting if as like you a, As like one playing, build, defining like yeah. one build of like... If you're playing like an MMO or you're playing a class-based game and one of them is like, I'm applying this debuff and then I'm like attacking. But if like you're adding a mechanic to a game where it's like, there's this mechanic this mechanic that like once you activate it you just deal more damage right and and that's a problematic so i i will say that that was one issue uh that i feel uh cropped up because of the way that they introduced uh, the clutch claw to the game Do you feel like other people agree with that i think that you could find discourse for that yeah i would think like uh, like for whatever reason, i i i immediately would think that there would be issues with like uh other than just everyone having to take that, like how that would kind of be weird. Like, like a lot of that game is knowing the monsters and creating a weak point. And if it's like you're able to create a weak point, then I feel like that would kind of take away some of the uniqueness of some of the monsters or like what their weak point is when you're just circumventing it with like a one size yeah. fits all. I don't think that's returning to uh, Monster Hunter. Uh, and we can talk about upcoming games. You know, Monster Hunter Rise was announced oh, and it will there? be coming. Monster Hunter Rise, uh, it's going to be coming out next year. Uh, Switch exclusive, similar to the way that Monster Hunter uh, Generations or Monster Hunter Ultimate was, where it looks a little bit more arcadey. It's a it's a much faster Monster Hunter. 
I, I don't think it has like the styles gameplay of Monster Hunter Generations, where essentially like every weapon had classes under it. Uh, but it looks pretty similar, and I think that's kind of a it's a fun offshoot. I feel like it's a it's weird choice monster. to make a Switch only Monster Hunter when it feels like they the ball is in their court. Like they they finally are more of a mainstream title now. It's their, it's their B team. They have an A team okay. and a B team. All right. All right. So that's their B team production. Uh, so the other game that we have written down here for January um, is uh, Warcraft Three Reforged, and I, I Warcraft this came out Three Reforged. This came out January twenty eighth. And uh, neither of us played it. it. It was. It's worth talking about a little bit though, because I. I, I feel like it's. It's. It's just interesting for a lot of reasons. Yeah. It has let, a fi- let me let you in on a fun fact, and that fun fact is that I uninstalled uh, Battle.net in 2019. Uh, I haven't played a Blizzard game since 2019 because of the, the whole uh, Hong Kong censorship thing that happened a while ago. Uh, that was it for me. I just haven't played a Blizzard game since. You've had so but much to dislike. Tell me why this is a train wreck. I, I'm I'm a huge fan of Warcraft Three. I like I I grew up playing tons of Warcraft Three. Uh, I really like those characters. While playing WoW, I actually uh, was one of the lucky people to kind of actually know lore stuff and be impressed by how well that they integrated that kind of stuff and kind of the, some of the narratives that they originally were telling in Warcraft before they have the this currently shambling corpse. Uh, that they have going on. I guess it's like a Forsaken expansion too, so it makes sense. But uh, the Warcraft 3 Reforged uh, is such a incredible like failure and misstep that it is like it's one of the it's one of like I think one of the most interesting missteps that I've ever seen uh, a a large company do. Uh, currently, even currently right now, has a 59 on Metacritic and a 0.6 user score. And one of the big reasons why people are so frustrated with it, it's such an interesting game to really look at, was that it the, the concept of it was that it is a uh, it is a remake of Warcraft 3 and it was going to have... It was sold as having um, uh, these, like, cinematic cutscenes and all new like rendering and all new models and all this new additions to the game and uh that it was just going to be better and uh also that like uh the regular warcraft 3 like it was going to redo the battle net and like the way that um warcraft 3 which still has like uh, servers that run to this day and it was going to redo some of this kind of stuff and some of the it was going to rebalance a lot of the units and basically like be a gift not only to fans who used to like the game, but fans who still actually play Warcraft Three after whatever whatever it is, close to twenty years. I'd imagine. Um, actually, no, it'd be yeah, it'd be over twenty years. But um, uh, what they did instead was uh, they everything that they showed trailer wise, they stepped back on the the cinematics were like taken out of the game, and it's the kind of they're they it's even like uglier models and less cinematic it's somehow less cinematic than it originally was like 20 years ago like the characters move less for some reason when they're like during narratives and like have less personality and like less all this kind of stuff they destroyed uh the balance of the game they just there was like huge issues with like i believe like drm and people not being able to connect and like all these other horrible things that just had made the game worse to the point where the it's like it's it's kind of hilarious like it's worth even looking more into like how many problems there were with this game and it basically like imagine taking uh, a game that people were playing after 20 years like I don't even know. Like, like, let's say, like, in in another like ten years or whatever, they got Counter Strike, and then they're like, "We're gonna make a new edition of the game, and we're gonna force 
even people who have been playing it the entire time the way that it was to play on this new edition of it. We're going to take down the servers and they're going to play on this new uh, version of the game and then just ruining it. And then like saying that like, oh yeah, we'll fix it. And then look at where we are at the end of the, this came out January 28th and uh, Blizzard has made no effort to correct this. So like this was one of the biggest like, I feel like PR mistakes that they've ever made. And it's just, it, it's also, I wanted to bring it up and just like how sad it is to me that I used to, re- like Blizzard was my absolute favorite company. Like they were the what company. What the fuck are they doing? That man? like, well, I mean, a lot of their top people left, like a lot of the, that personality that drove them left, like no matter what you could say about the slow creeping of like Activision's hands, like Blizzard used to be, was run by, fans of their game like it was it was like blizzard was that kind of one of those few companies that is like it is a small company that makes such good work that they grew and they were their own publisher so they could do whatever they wanted they could be crazy they could you know like work more directly with their fans and then i don't know how what i would have expected otherwise like so 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 let me ask you we don't we don't have to blizzard sucks we don't have to talk about that but do you feel like um maybe riot games is starting to fill some of those shoes most definitely i mean like riot is starting to do that and and riot is interestingly enough owned by tencent and i don't know if we've necessarily felt they don't they're not like that's a that's a tall you know it's a tall thing to say they own a majority share yeah so owned is a yeah it's not necessarily they're just their biggest shareholders but they don't you don't necessarily feel that i feel like and it's also interesting because uh, I think Riot and Tencent actually is not the worst thing when you imagine it because Tencent as a company, like their thing is these like always live, always online games. So them owning majority share in Riot shouldn't be that weird to anyone. Like they both almost have the same goal. Like other companies, Blizzard, like, yeah. like y- yes, Blizzard had WoW and they had games uh, or StarCraft too, but like StarCraft as a franchise wasn't necessarily ever designed to be a um, thing that would slowly take money from the players. Like there was no, like a lot of those games that Blizzard was making, like Warcraft three, people are still playing to this day where you can basically just get it for free. And they weren't designed in such a way to uh, almost be live games. They were designed to be like these incredible releases. And sometimes they did update them a little bit afterwards. I know Starcraft sometimes had patches, but like the, the Blizzard used to make these, big games that were kind of just for the fans and like the fans trusted them so much and now they now they're kind of turning more into like like wow like used to have just a subscription but now you're buying cosmetics and they're not even putting cosmetics into the raids really and like all what this does other blizzcon card. look like next year aside from the fact that like Corona who knows what who knows yeah. what any uh you know convention looks like next year but what are they are people still excited about the blizzard name I, like I'm not, and that's like it's so it's so sad to feel that way. Like they, I, I, I do believe that Overwatch overall has been good, even though they kind of shot themselves in the foot with a lot of the balance on it. And Heroes is sad because it's like it is a good game, and it never got the PR or the push. Like you knew that there was never the money behind it. And when they they shuttered like the esports kind of the doors on the esports scene. Uh, they did it in a pretty grimy way. They just, it was very overnight and all the pros had to like move on to different things. And that's really sad that they, that it went out the way that it did despite being like one of their better games. And then instead they like refused to let WoW die and just make like a WoW 2, which I'm, I've been ready for, for years rather than trying to 
play that game. But it's just like yeah, Riot Games is going to release an MMO before we see another a WoW successor. I would think so, and I feel like they could do a phenomenal job with it because they've they've they already it. announced it. They already I, I know, they're working on an MMO. No, I know that, but I think it was. But wasn't it like they were starting work on it? Like I don't know how deep. Yeah, it they're was. hiring. So February has no really like no launches that we would be interested in. And again, like I'm we're skipping over like but, some minor launches, but however, I did receive a board game in February that was a pretty good board game. Uh Imperial Spells and Steam is a is a game that I received in the mail in February. It's one of my favorite board games I've played. I feel like it actually would be in the top ten. It do, it do, it combines so many different things I love about uh board games. Like there this is not to be understated like how good a board game this is like not only to start with a phenomenal board game where they like really took this concept of like what how would you like there's definitely terminology for this it's like a um pick up and uh, deliver pick up and deliver yeah yeah so you're like so you you have a like randomized world right and there's different elements found around the world and you're building um train lines and taking resources from the world and delivering it to cities that require those resources if i remember correctly and like but like how you're doing it is very interesting you have like a it's almost like a rondelle i guess it is a rondelle yeah so it is a rondelle and like you're you're you are going in order of like it's it costs you like nothing to do an action the next action in order but sometimes you can like skip over it for more resources to do something else and uh, you have to like what you have to like line up the last thing is what you is when you deliver like so you're like able to place things down on different types of terrain as you're going down your rondelle uh, place like uh, tracks down basically on different types of terrain as you're going down your rondelle or do certain like take like certain actions um, uh, they they this game also has like I, I uh, love the art this is level 99 I like absolutely love the art I love the, the components are gorgeous. The it's a it's a massive uh, game that fits together all in one box. The box is so tightly packed that uh, there's a game reviewer Tom Vassell who has a part of his review called the component drop, where where he just takes everything in the box and shakes it onto the table. And this is the one game where he's like, "I'm not doing that." Yeah, <laughs> and he's just like, "You're not. I'm not gonna put this out onto the table. No way." Uh, but yeah, just the production value of, of this game was beautiful. It is it is an expensive game, but it is also a game with so much like variability and production value that I, I would rather own one game like Imperial than five games lesser than. Yeah, I do. A game that I'm going to play over and over, and that's going to be the setup and teardown is nothing. Yeah. Despite being such a large game, it takes no time at all to to put it out on the table and to put it away. And, you know, as we play more and more board games, we realize how important that is. Yeah, I really do hope that, like, we're moving entirely away from games, from board games not having significant game tray kind of stuff. Like, I we played some of Eclipse this year, and uh, Eclipse is another, is another similar game where it is, like, jam-packed with components and cards and in fact like i know that shut up and sit down did a review of this and they made an interesting point where it's like the individual stuff that you have to give a player the the different ships it's like a space war game the different ships you'd have to give them the different like resource tokens everything equals like around 300 different unique pieces that you would maybe in 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 the past like have to ration out like okay you need 30 of these you need 20 of these this is your faction specific mat this is your faction specific 
um, uh, spaceships and all these kind of things. And instead, every player ha gets this like little box that has everything in it perfectly like set up. So like the setup and teardown of it saves like an hour, like probably more. Like it's it ends up being like taking what could be like an hour and a half setup into like around fifteen minutes, if even like. And yeah, like that that is so important. Like that is actually an important hurdle. For board games when you include that many components you have to think about like game trays making it so the components actually fit in the box rather than having like multiple boxes for the same game i hope we're moving on to games that are more like imperial me too so that's all i've got for february uh because i don't remember any games but march had some stuff it did march 3rd had grand blue i think it, so it released grand blue fantasy versus which is a weird uh game for a lot of different reasons it's an arxis fighting game um so i was interested in this game and it was recommended by you and galloway that i don't get it well so there there was a lot of different weird like i i played i did play actually a little bit of this game um i did buy it uh there's there's a couple weird things going on with grand blue and overall i i i it was worth like saying somewhere else in this podcast that this is a terrible year for fighting games for a lot of different reasons grand, grand blue fantasy versus uh i feel like ha is is a you know that have you ever watched death of a game by nerd slayer no no nope. so, so death of a game is this phenomenal youtube channel uh actually the, the channel is nerd slayer but uh he, he does a phenomenal job of like looking at games that have died. Uh, think of like Battleborn and stuff like that, and uh, chronicling everything that happened, letting leading up to it. Why did they fail? What were their problems? What what, what happened around the time? Like this interesting like post mortem. And for Grand Blue Fantasy Versus, I feel like it's it's worth like this little post mortem. Like I th I don't think the game is like dead forever. I think I can imagine people still playing it, but. Uh, one of the first things that kind of sucked about Grand Blue Fantasy Versus that, that put me off a little bit was that it released originally uh, in Japan on February 6th. And a lot of people switched their uh, PlayStation. It was on PlayStation 3 or PlayStation 4. And uh, you could switch your, your and make a Japanese account to buy um, Grand Blue Fantasy Versus. And it's like it's kind of a hassle. Like I didn't want to go do, go through all that. Um, I could have. And so because of that, a lot of people had an advanced time uh playing it it was a weird game because it was like like i would see it being played at like team spooky and stuff like that but and people were having tournaments for it and i had to keep checking like is it out yet because it released in japan february 6th and a lot of people were playing it it released for consoles in america march 3rd and it released on windows which is the platform that i play everything for uh march 13th so weird, okay. like staggered, like launch, and I feel like that is a negative for a lot of reasons. Especially in a fighting game, is like when I downloaded it around March thirteenth, I was like getting the shit, put my shit pushed in by people who've been playing it yeah. since, in some cases, February. So that's awkward. Like, like I, I think fighting games are weird in that, like they, they, they require so much time and input, and if someone's been playing something for a month in advance. They're on whole nother levels of like how they combo, how they convert, their mind games. They know what kind of stuff the characters do. And if you're playing day one with everyone else who's playing day one, you don't really need to do all that kind of stuff. You can have a little bit more fun of just like, it's a lot lighter feeling. It's a lot like just throw out stuff, see what works. You're surprised by different moves that people have. It's a whole different feeling, but it's kind of ruined when I'm playing the game for the first time 
uh, like March yeah. 13th and people have been playing it for a month. Um, and that's still a $60 game, by the way. Like the yeah. Steam sale going on, everything is like $5. That game costs $60. So that was one negative point for it. Um, I think another negative point for it was what ha- what ended up happening shortly afterwards. It was around because Grand Blue Fantasy launching in North America around March, like in February, there were streams of people together in lands, right? But that didn't happen as much in March and like was gone in April. Like by the time this game was coming out and for Windows, there was no more LAN. And LAN actually for fighting games is kind of what keeps these games alive a lot of times. Fighting games still lag behind other games in netcode. Fighting games are also more important than anything else to like have these good netcodes because we're talking about like frames. Like but like you're like if you're if you have like a one frame combo that that you can practice to like thousands of hours and nail it down in LAN, what what does that look like online? You know, a lot of times, like you almost can't have these games that are as tight combos wise anymore because of the restraints of like connecting online and how just having a minor delay or even having slightly dropped frames can just like turn the tide of a battle in a terrible way. So it, it I don't remember it ha- it didn't have great net code like the best net code for it surely didn't have the best net code I don't remember it being like the worst net code either but uh lands are what keep them alive in a lot of cases like people get together and play these games and it's also a voyeuristic thing of like like uh just the way that any kind of esports feeds on the community the community feeds on the esports so with people not getting together and playing grand blue fantasy versus it kind of like I feel like it, it never had its time to shine in a land setting and people like me like w- end up watching a lot of fighting game lands just fighting game lands disappeared uh there were there were attempts to run online tournaments for not just grand blue but other fighting games i believe there was like a massive like dragon ball um uh fighting game tournament uh that was ran like uh from kind of japan i believe and it ended up like cr- kind of crashing and a lot of people like pulled out of it because they didn't want to do an online tournament like i remember like chris g was just like i'm done with it and just walked out which is a whole another story of like how he's kind of an asshole for doing that and he kind of like ruined this tournament but uh fighting games had tough times in this year like the 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 having poor netcode and expecting that most people will that a lot of the fighting game community is just going to meet in person uh was is like a, a comeuppance for this genre of like this is unacceptable at this point. Like we need incredible netcode uh, to to make up for this. And like now that people can't really get together, so those are another problem. And then I and then the last problem was that I I didn't really the the, the game launched with a kind of small roster of like thirteen characters. They were very cool and unique characters. So it's so I, I'm not like necessarily hurting for that. And I understand like releasing the first iteration of a game with a small amount of characters to get used to before um, they release more or it gets crazier. But um, yeah. I, I never really found a character that like. So, so what was the differentiator me. of this game? Like, what makes it unique? Um, yeah, I, I don't. Know, I, I it's. I feel like it was closer from an Arc system standpoint to like their version of Street Fighter. If I like, it, it's a lot slower. A bit slower. It's slower. It's pokier. It's um. It's it's not like for Arc like like so. I love Dragon Ball Fighters. 
Um, Guilty Gear is like in a lot of cases like a two touch game and when people are good like they touch you once they combo you into the corner and then they're doing mix ups and you're having to like block a lot and if they get another opening like it's, it's less so than that like it's some of the Guilty Gears actually are more poke heavy but uh, over time Arxis has trended to these like longer crazy combos and then Dragon Ball Fighter is a whole other story of like you get touched once in that game by a good player and you lose a character for it it's a 3v3 game so this was a 1v1 game uh, an Arxis 1v1 game, more similar to, like, their Guilty Gear series, but I felt like it was even clunkier and slower, so closer to, like, maybe a Street Fighter 3 in the overall feeling. Very, like, footsie-heavy, very poke-heavy, very neutral-heavy, and I like all those things, um, but but I, I felt like... Uh, the, some of the tutorials weren't like up to snuff. It's another thing about fighting games; like sometimes they don't have great tutorials. And Arxis does a good job with tutorials, but I, yeah, I didn't click with these. And I also like couldn't uh, out of the initial roster. I think the thing that just killed it was like, I couldn't find a character that I really, really clicked with out of the initial roster. Like none of them were the kind of characters that that I really liked aesthetically or play style wise. So that that kind of hurt it for the, the most. That's a bummer. How was the balance of the game? I heard it seemed a little bit iffy when I uh, was reading into it. When I first, wa- when I was watching it, I remember there being like, even just like a month, by the time that, that I was getting to play the game on the 13th, around that time, I felt like online I was just watching like two characters be strong in a lot of cases. And then they had like some of their DLC characters, I feel like uh, kind of went out of control a little bit. Like there's some characters that like a deal, one of the first DLC characters I think is like this evil boss guy. And I, if I remember correctly, he like he kind of plays a little bit faster and more crazier than any of the other characters, and like puts people. It's like almost like an Arakune kind of in a in a game that is a little bit slower. So he, I remember him being being a little out of control. I don't know. I wouldn't necessarily like know. Like I, I'm almost just talking about it makes me almost want to like look into it again. But it's like that. Sh- it's another thing is like that ship has sailed at this point. Like if I do, if I was gonna play then that that it's probably I would have to look at the Steam charts, but it probably has a much smaller audience than a lot of other fighting games and uh if it's a small audience and i I, like i don't know if there's been new dlc or anything to bring in new players recently but if you're just coming in at a random time like the people who've been playing it have probably been playing a lot of it and like you will not find a good fight for a long time like that's kind of why i like playing games when they first come out and that's why i hated this staggered launch is like that's the time to try every character that's the time to be bad that's the time to like not understand certain things before because a couple months in fighting games get to the point where it's like everything is is like all frame data everyone knows what are safe setups everyone like labs out things that are like unblockables and shit and stuff that is like impossible to get out unless you go online and figure it out and it gets to the point where it's like if you didn't slowly see that stuff over time and learn it then it's fine like but but if you're getting into it now then that's a huge burden on you to to look at everything that's going on like every matchup and stuff like that rather than just kind of like uh figuring it out as you go like you can't kind of can't do that if you come in late. but um on march we have so many good games to talk about so let's keep on trying. 10th was cod warzone what was this so, is this the game that like you and galloway played a lot of so so galloway and i played a lot of just call of duty modern warfare 2019 the multiplayer call of duty 2019 is the best call of duty multiplayer it's it is it was amazing and it sucks that this year they came out with a new call of duty and that and that the best call of duty game that's ever existed is not getting updates anymore uh so that's my piece on that call of duty warzone is the standalone free-to-play battle royale that was developed in the engine 
of uh, Modern Warfare 2019. So cool things about Warzone. First off, I think Warzone's pretty cool. And I, I can distill it down to saying this is Call of Duty Battle Royale. So the reason why that matters is that when Battle Royale games first started coming out, it was very hard to find a game that was just like, this is a battle, this is a battle royale that plays like other shooters that you've played, uh, and there's no fuss about it. Because when these games first started getting popular, uh, you had PUBG was one of them, which it's was like very game. slow yeah. and weird and janky. Fortnite was a third-person shooter. It was overly complicated. It was. Uh, Apex, Apex Legends still is, yeah. Uh, <laughs> Apex Legends came in, and that was the best attempt at this, uh, but it was still class-based. It was actually, it was like... A hero shooter, almost. Not really. Fast, like, ridiculously fast, not arcadey. Whereas COD Warzone came in, and it introduced a lot of things that just made it um, feel like Call of Duty. Uh, so, so for example, one of the things that made it this way was that as you killed people, you were accumulating money and you could go to these stations and spend the money to resurrect um, a dead teammate. Yeah, that sounds right. Resurrect a dead teammate or even bring in your multiplayer loadout uh, into the game if you have enough money. It was one of the more expensive options, but if you were able to pay for it, you could bring in your fully customized weapon uh, into into the zone. And that was kind of cool, but it was also a little bit weird because one of the key features of Battle Royale games is that you're kind of scrapping together what you could find. So yeah, that is weird. weird. It, it, that sounds cool initially, but it's also like kind of weird in general. Like it, it kind of it takes so away. Yeah. It, it was fun. But you're not my, starting my out issue... with it, right? Like you're not starting out with yeah. it anyway, though. My, my issue with the game, I, I think my only issue with Warzone, because I think that it played pretty well. It was super fun. Like Call of Duty has amazing gunplay. Uh, especially the 2019 version. My, my issue with it is just that the map was a little too big. It was a little flavorless. And I don't like vehicles. Like, I, I didn't like running into, like, a zone to try to get to a car so that I could, like, drive to the circle. I, I felt like, uh, I don't know, there was just something about that. There was this massive uh, football stadium in the middle of the map, and you couldn't go into it. So it's like you would drop there being like, oh, this is probably this major point of interest. And then you can't actually enter it. Eventually, they put in an update that let you enter it. But I felt like that was, it really took me out of it. It felt so bizarre. It's pretty that, like, weird. There was this building that you just couldn't go into. That's very weird. But all, all in all, I actually think that Call of Duty Warzone was pretty successful. And it, it's also interesting that they're continuing Warzone, even though they've moved on to another Call of Duty. Kind of a bummer. They really need to get their shit together to yeah, make Call it as a game as a service that's always you always make this point but like that's always the coda on a call of duty game is like very good but if you want to talk about like like this game has a lifespan that you know because they they put that in like a lot of other when a lot of other games like that we play uh you want to play like you don't want to feel like that there's a lifespan you want to be able to just keep playing or or um like like down the line it's it, it's kind of weird how they're still doing this when you would think that it would be easier for them, right? Like, in a lot of cases, like, I would think it would be easier for them to make their own, like, Fortnite and just sit, like, I guess that's what they're doing with Warzone, but it, it's too bad that they make these, like, major, new major games and then haven't found a way to just, like, connect them. You know what else is crazy is that uh, Modern Warfare 2019 had battle passes. They had seasons. And the content was amazing. 
they had really brilliant gun skins. They had all these like insane cosmetics, these finishers, the characters, the skins, they were all brilliant. I'm not going to buy another game and then just like throw away all of that shit. Like if, if you just kept updating that game, I would just keep buying battle passes. But eventually I stopped playing it because I was like, they're just going to replace this anyway. Yeah. Why buy these battle passes if they're just going to get rid of it? it? It's such a waste. That's a, that's a kind of, that's also the weird thing is like don't like don't battle passes kind of exist as like a FOMO thing of like well if you're playing Apex in two years don't you want to maybe have this skin like or like to to show off or Fortnite or something like like it makes sense to to me if you're like if you've got years and years on Fortnite and you're like yeah I'm not stopping anytime soon and then they release a battle pass or you get a cosmetic is like oh yeah in like two years I could be using this I could switch over to this in two years I could imagine always liking this cosmetic. Yeah, so it's weird to like who, sell it and yeah. be like, it's going to end by the end of the year. Absolutely. In Fortnite, there are people who fought hard in season three for the John Wick skin. And that skin is still relevant. You can't get that anymore. Yeah. And there's there's value to that. Um, so next on the list, I have a game that neither of us played, which is Neo 2. Yeah, I, I, I said that. I, I, I only mention this almost because it's like... I think it's sad that like it's it's gonna release on Windows uh, February fifth, twenty twenty one, and uh, it'll also be a part of like a complete package that has all the DLC and everything like that, and that's when we'll play it. But especially hearing friend of the show Ryan Galway, thank you Ryan Galway, and Bumper for the UC Year intro, we use the intro and outro. Uh, you can get it off the new album Beyond the Pops, Pop, Beyond the Pop Songs twenty twenty. Um, you can find them at YouTube where you can find links to all their merch. Uh, but. Uh, I, I, I really want to play Neo, and I feel like if I had played Neo 2, I would would love it a lot, and it would ma- and it would actually make it a little bit easier to build like a top five or top ten. But um, because it, it's releasing for whatever reason, like a year later on Windows, um, I'm I'm not playing it now. I, I don't know why I'm doing it to myself that this way. Also, because I'm probably just gonna play it with a controller. So I don't know. Because I like playing. I just like playing things on my PC. I yeah. this is the room where I game. Yeah. That me, me me too like like i i have a nicer pc than like i guess like my playstation 4 like stuff usually looks better on the pc i can i'm on my pc and then i i don't like even though it's ridiculous half the time just to be like i don't want to turn around and turn on a playstation like i don't want to turn on another thing i'm already on for the me, pc it's, it's a, a click room something is a click away for me like if i just want to like log if, if like if, if i had this game on steam it's just like I almost have Steam open all the time. Like it would be no different than me just like two or three clicks and I'd be in the game. It's in the game, EA Sports. A lot of bank. So yeah, I didn't play the game. Teamfight Tactics came out for iOS and Droid. That's the um, Riot, uh, what do they call these? Uh, chess. They call uh, these auto battlers. Auto battlers, okay. Yeah. Um, and this is a good one. It's uh, they, They're going strong on it. The, the newest season, Fates, came out, which... Um, made the game a lot more dynamic and, and made it so that you couldn't solve it because they essentially introduced this uh, thing where every so often you'd find a faded character that would count uh, as as two of a class or, or something like that. So essentially uh, it made decision-making a lot more interesting and impactful and it made the game less solvable. And that's really what you want out of an auto-battler for, for those familiar with the, the genre. I do hope that Riot gets uh, starts to do a little better. Like um, I, I think that they might be doing this well with um, Wild Rift. Actually, like Wild Rift is very much like they're Andrew making their what? Andrew and Rune Terra. And, and Rune Terra. I mean, well, so so they have 
Riot right now on iOS has Teamfight Tactics, the auto battler. They have uh, Rune Terra, the the card game, which was I believe rated uh, the top game on Google on on Droid, like the it's top the game of the year. It's a fantastic game. It's the I will say it. It is the best uh, digital card game you can play right now. Not hard to believe, but and uh, the most affordable. Also not hard to believe. The one thing that I that I that kind of bumps me out a little bit is that like uh, with um, Wild Rift, which is a, a remake, actually, of League of Legends. It's, like, completely made for from the ground up. Like, everything was kind of tweaked that, that like, it's it's almost, like, it's not even, like, a port. Like, it's, like, a lot of stuff was made exactly for iOS and or and for Droid, like, for phones. And, um, and for consoles. They even have some really cool stuff, like, intro, like, like it, it's, like, way more cinematic looking. Like, I don't know if you've seen, like, the way when you're, like, picking a character or looking at a skin is, like, there's an intro, the character comes in. Like, that's kind of actually to par with mobile games uh uh that, but that's not happening right now in the regular league client where you just kind of get like uh picking a character is just the um static 2d image or looking at a skin that you might want to buy you just see that static 2d image i still believe i believe that there's that they haven't added a way to look at the 3d model and you have to go elsewhere like online or or watch like a youtube video to look at what the actual 3d model looks like and the animations for it are but um in the actual in uh wild rift the remake they're they're adding like introductions like or like little like quick intros where like the character comes out and does something and like the camera is all cinematic and it looks gorgeous looks really good and they're making it from the ground up for mobile and with team fight tactics and rune terror it feel, felt a little bit more like they just kind of like ported over and made it barely work i know with team fight tactics like i feel like i'd be playing a lot of that game because I, I like this genre but i would be playing more of it if it weren't so illegible like it was it, like the text is tiny it was clearly not made for um, mobile at all. It was just ported over. So a lot of the kind of quality of life or like um, stuff that you'd want on mobile isn't there. And, and you kind of have to like play it first and know every single thing about it before you get to mobile because then it makes it a little bit easier to just kind of like see the stuff and not have to read the text and know what characters do and all this kind of stuff. And it's a weird thing. So I, I kind of hope that they get a, that they do a little bit better job with their mobile endeavors, uh, making them a little bit more like mobile friendly, actually, and not making them like ports. Probably one of the biggest releases of the year is uh, on March on March twentieth was Animal Crossing New Horizon. Did you play Animal Crossing New Horizons? You did a bit, right? I did. I, I was I was playing for a little bit for a fair so, amount for actually for a couple months. So Animal Crossing New Horizons is a game that I was originally really looking forward to playing on my honeymoon on the flight. Uh, but this game got delayed several times. It eventually, you know, released in honestly good on them because they released the perfect time. Uh, it really did for the pandemic. A lot of people would tell you that this game uh, is their game of the year, not because it's the best game, but because it's the game that sort of emphasized, you know, the current situation and, and sort of kept them sane. Uh, gave, some people, you know, would say that this gave them a, a reason to wake up in the morning, gave them structure. It's a, uh, it's it's an interesting Animal Crossing game. It does a few things more differently. There's a bit more uh, vertical like progression and momentum in this game than in the old ones, uh, where you're sort of building up your island in a way that uh, you know when in, in previous Animal Crossing games you kind of come to a town that's already there for you. Whereas this one, you come there, there are no buildings whatsoever. You're laying the foundations for all of the villagers' houses, uh, for 
for the museum that'll eventually be there for the uh, goods store. You're, you're sort of putting everything in place. And with it, they also eventually give you access to terraforming tools, uh, to road making tools. And you really do get to shape the island in a way that you never really could before in Animal Crossing. It is the Animal Crossing that has the most um, customizability and expression uh, more than more than the game ever has before, even even in the ways that they let you um, decorate hats and uh, dresses and things like that, which isn't something that you could really do in in such a robust way before. I, I will say the the only thing, and they've been updating the game also. Worth noting that they've been coming out with updates uh, every season. Toy Day is coming out in two days. My wife is really excited for all the Toy Day content. One thing that bummed me out about this game though and, and you know i gotta give the, the bad with the good is just that the there was less furniture overall like there there were it, it's weird because all the furniture sets kind of already existed and i and i feel like they're just drip feeding them in uh which is kind of a bummer i guess but but i also understand it but they've just been like drip feeding in all of the old furniture sets and they have a long way to go uh until they reach the levels that they had in uh new leaf on the 3ds yeah it, it's so interesting like how this was hitting around the time that like everyone like this was past where where anyone can could conceivably be still at work like in a normal uh, yeah. in a normal i, I had sense. my birthday in animal crossing yeah that's, what I, that's actually i wanted to make that point of like that's kind of like how people were and especially in the beginning when like nothing was opened and there wasn't even like kind of the groundwork for going outside and having things open and just being more careful and, and having a mask on. Uh, it's kind of crazy that it was like, that was like the most isolated that anyone ever was like that was, and it was, it was insane. Cause like the world was suddenly experiencing this crisis that like the modern age has never seen before and animal crossing coming at, uh, at the, the time it did is, is weird because there were a lot of people who probably had birthdays in, um, in Animal Crossing, and I, I know I like you said it, it. It's it's a lot of people used Animal Crossing as that return to normality of like the waking up and doing the chores kind of thing. The way that they weren't anymore, like the way that your 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 life had structure, and you would go to 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 work, and like now Animal Crossing was like giving you a little bit of that, a little bit of like normalcy, and people are hanging out and it's social, and you could see your friends and visit them on their islands, like. It is. It is. It was launched at such a appropriate time, and it was such like an amazing touchstone for this year. Of like, of like, I, I I think it kind of takes the cake for how bad the pandemic and how scary it was at that time, and how isolated everyone was, and how uh, this game is just anyone can play it. Like obviously, like zero skill kind of game that that anyone can enjoy and like meet up with friends and like spend some time together, like over. Uh, discord or something like be talking and then be visiting your friends in their islands and stuff like that it gave you like a lot of i, I think it, it it's, it's also like there's no like there's nothing evil or like murderous or anything about it like it's it's so nice and i guess that 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 attitude also that that like that like oh just come hang out with these like nice animals and there's no conflict it's very chill like was very was at was a nice palate cleanser for what was going on at the time absolutely 
but it's also such a non-game that there's not much for us to talk about outside of that, right? But it, but still, it, it, it's... Uh, there, there, like you said, there was some... In, it, inter- like, I want to see Animal yeah. Crossing go further in this direction because this Animal Crossing had um, a lots of different tools and it almost used tools as this, like, su- this kind of... I don't want to say Metroidvania, but it was a little bit similar where it took days to get to certain parts. So, like, you started off on the small part of the island and for, for days and days like parts of the island were hidden from you because you couldn't get up there. It took like scummy time traveler, unless you're a scummy time traveler. Like you couldn't get across the river until you had a pole that was late, let you vault over the river. And then you couldn't get up to the higher points until you got a ladder. So there was all these things where like you started out just so small with such a small Island and you got to like slowly like almost survival style, like take it, not take it back or like, I guess like modernize it or like, whatever industrialize it and like add all these like go from all these tents to real houses and stuff like that so um there were some cool things and like you said it was much more of a game than animal crossing has been in the past like animal crossing is like was usually just like you could basically do anything like you're almost at the end game already basically when you start out playing the game and now there was a little bit more of a progression a little bit more of like a real uh thing to hook to keep you going rather than just like enjoy it you know like i like i i as a player like that i like the progression so i, I enjoyed those kind of things are, are you have anything cool. else to say about animal crossing no uh it's a known quantity it's a good game i thought it was funny that animal crossing came out the exact same day march 20th that doom eternal came out there was a lot of crossover artwork it's worth looking into um uh, isabel with a uh doom shotgun uh covered I, in blood i still want to play this game it's on sale um but I just I just haven't gotten around to it. I spent all my money today buying Sea of Thieves for all everyone. We didn't get it. Why didn't we play? I just wanted to play, but I know because everyone went. Everyone is doing their own thing. Huh, but Doom Eternal. I didn't play uh, this. I got up to the last level in it, and I just I didn't. I, I kind of had like a shitty save at the time. Like I like I have like no armor in it and like no ammo for anything, and it was kind of slogging to get through that last level. So I didn't want to like push it on myself too hard to like brute force through for no reason really but um doom eternal is yeah i played enough of it and it and like like there's there's a i I feel like there's a difference between like i like a persona 5 where i i was playing it still i've been still playing it a little bit more but um uh where you're sad to walk away and it's like ah damn i should have finished it or a game where you're like you're basically at the end, you know what, like, it's Doom, I don't really give a shit what happens in the end, like, I don't necessarily think that, like, the ending or the narrative style will be the thing that, like, it's like, oh, you really should have seen that ending necessarily. Um, Doom Eternal is, is, is very good, I think overall, uh, it, it, it is, it's, it's kind of hard to say, it's kind of a weird game, because, uh, the, the 2016 Doom, uh is incredible is like phenomenal like that is like a 10 out of 10 like they absolutely nailed it um and i feel like i was like laughing constantly during that game with like how over the top the violence is how all this kind of cool stuff that happens with like reading lore text of how the demons are like terrified of you like you are basically the bad guy even though the demons like killed all like took over earth and killed all these people i took over mars technically i guess um when they were like fracking hell on mars um they are like they fear you like you are the worst thing you are like the true devil of this universe and i love that i love like how far they went like how brutal the, the main character is the doom guy it was a really cool take on doom 
and it really brought doom as a franchise back to life they and it's not it's also worth mentioning that like it is just like the most unbelievably solid incredible gunplay like they just completely knocked out of the park with the old style arena shooter gunplay but doom eternal uh, what for me is like it's a little bit it was a little bit more of a known quantity um and i i feel like they were so aware of how much people liked their over the top uh stylings with like the doom character being this this like impossible to kill demon that like everyone is just the demons the, the the people of hell are afraid of you they like took it too far it's like they it's like they were more subtle about that and and to the point of it being like this like reverent joke and in the first one and then in the second one it was a little bit more shoved in your face like every narrative and stuff talking about like there was there's all these like audio logs of people talking about the doom guy and it's like it's it, it goes a little bit too far and it's less like you're laughing about how crazy the character is and more just like, Oh my God, like I, I, I get it. Like, like you can't just like take the entire narrative and put it on the back of just this one thing that was a little bit more hidden in like text in the first one. Um, and then also the game required, like they, they made it a little bit harder. And, uh, w one thing that I've heard from other people that they didn't like was that the game, like doom will have you have like nine different guns and they yeah. made they made like new care they made new enemies and gave some old enemies kind of like a uh, like shields or certain aspects of their kit armor and stuff like that i'm i'm not remembering all of them like like but but basically like guns were like hard counters to certain characters to certain enemies in that game which is kind of an i i guess an i an interesting idea of like like it, it, i could imagine the, an, an initial complaint of the original doom being like you play a lot with one gun and you get to the point where you're so used to it and it's so leveled up and you put all your um like points and and like experience and shit into making this gun better to the point where your arsenal feels a little bit more limited like you yourself kind of limit it by that and the influx of the um like the points like the upgrade system and then in doom eternal it feels like to remedy that they were like well let's make a mo let's make an enemy that specifically requires the use of this gun to like break their shield or this one requires the use of an explosive grenade launcher to break its armor which is like fine but you don't find those like the ammo everywhere like a lot of times you're like in the last one you kind of had to be um switching guns uh, more so based on just if you couldn't find ammo. And in this one, it's like forcing you to switch to a different gun, which sometimes you don't have the, the ammo for. So that kind of stuff felt tricky. Like it wasn't always balanced that well. Like you want to be able to, to like, I, I don't think the idea of having the hard counters is bad in theory, but in, in practice, it was a little bit more frustrating. Like I, in Doom 1, even playing on like the hard mode, I felt ridiculously powerful sometimes. And when you died, you'd like instant restarted. And in Doom Eternal, I felt... A little bit more slow and like like oh there's an enemy and i can't break its shield right now i have to like kill other enemies to get the ammo back and there's a little bit more resource management it was a little bit less insane visceral blood and a little bit more thinking that i i don't think really hit them the mark if you know what i mean mm -hmm. like I, I feel like well, this game could have been a little bit it's you know with the first so two from my list with, with it's still very good the first doom is like it's still an amazing game it's like an 8 out of 10 compared to doom the the doom 2016 being like a 10 out of 10 but i do feel right, like so it's, an eight out of 10. it's as good as cyberpunk yeah i do <laughs> i do feel like i do feel like it is both a game worth playing especially if you can get it on on a lower price uh, and i feel like it is when the first doom is like try and play it on a harder mode to like 
feel like to to get good enough to like actually feel awesome in this doom i would actually like i've heard from a lot of people and i never end up doing this myself um i feel like it's a kind of game where you want to turn the difficulty down a little bit more like you should be feeling like a badass and this game takes that away from you a little bit by introducing all these more mechanics that you have to juggle you'll never see i feel like you're i'm waiting for you to take it away are you taking it away are we talking about are we doing video games oh if we Uh, must the thing is uh for the for the viewers at home uh, yeah the viewers and sometimes we just call them listeners most of the time Uh, they're viewers though or users. I have to, I recently said users, and I think that is good, right? Is it? The consumers. The, the... the consumers of this podcast will probably not know that this part of the recording is days apart from, from the last one. If I keep this in, I have to do like a, a little bump in between these. I have to do a transition song. Yeah. I'll do it. Maybe you could do like a little piece of the persona music so that I'll we get DMC. Yeah, I could do that. I'll do I'll do a, a royalty free version, uh, less than fifteen yeah. seconds or whatever. So Persona Five Royal came out this year. Uh, well, it's, it's yeah, well, it's a better version of Persona Five, right? It's uh, Persona Five is probably one of the best games ever made. Uh, so Persona Five Royal should be uh, the best the bester game ever. Made. Yeah, I I mean. Well, it, it should also be said that it's in the morning, so I hope that at some point our energy comes back. Because the last time we were doing it, like, well at the the peak of the the day's energy, um, which I, I, I say is 7 o'clock, maybe. And today we're doing it in the morning. Um, but Persona 5, I feel like, is it's sad to not have a lot of energy for this game, because it's like, it, it is amazing. And it's incredible that Persona 5 Royale um, is as good as, good as it is. It, because like you said persona 5 is just one of the is one of the greatest games but just yeah. this is not there's no skimping on the additions this is like so, there's so many improvements on the persona 5 uh game persona 5 already if you played like you you played persona 4 this year and yes. i'm sure you noticed the tons of quality of life and kind of improvements that uh that they they created in persona 5 uh versus persona 4 there's there's stuff like the endless kind of like battle the um what do they call that uh, mementos, mementos uh, yeah. they made like the actual character customization deeper they made combat a lot deeper they uh just they, they improved so much they, they they put more to do with your your friends to like strengthen your bonds yeah the, the biggest change for me is just um how the different social links are giving you different advantages in battle where there's like the shogi player who as you like level them up you're getting like access to new tactics when in battle there's the kid at the arcade who teaches you new like gun tricks and things like that uh compared to persona 4 where you level them up and all that you're actually doing is increasing your affinity with that uh tarot suite so that's that is definitely like the highlight of me uh, in the crossover from Persona 4 to Persona 5. So Persona 5, when it came out, was my game of the year. Uh, Persona 5 Royal didn't have the same impact for me just because I've played the original uh, Persona 5. Uh, if we were doing awards, and I'm thinking that maybe we should do a separate podcast uh, where after you know we discuss our base game of the years, we go through some awards, but... Uh, Persona 5 Royal, I would say, is one of my uh, 
game of shame where like i wish that i had played it but i just couldn't make time for it it's my game of shame multiple years running now i mean yeah. i'm still playing it a little bit but like i, I don't want to i want to be able to finish persona 5 royal because it's so good but it is it is long i'm like 65 or so hours in and i haven't really gotten to past uh where i had gotten in the original persona 5 so it is a little it is like like they, they they introduced so much new stuff that for a while that wasn't much of a problem and i was just generally loving the game and the characters and the writing and everything and being back in that world and then now i'm at like a weird spot in between the new stuff that i hadn't seen or the the old stuff that i that, that is new to me and uh the stuff that i'm that i'm currently doing so i do want to yeah i do want to finish it but it's incredible like I, I i had actually forgotten that in the old persona games uh you only leveled up that arcana and that the the thereby the fusions like of the personas that you get like that the, there wasn't this whole deep system of of by hanging out with someone who's the, the shoji player you get tactics like you said um and 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 shoji or shogi i forget shogi shogi, shogi. um right. and uh hanging out with your party members lets them do all these other special things like block yeah. hits for you and yeah and then that an part is in, that part is in persona 4 like the party members oh the party members have that it's, okay in golden anyway i mean i didn't play base persona 4 i thought i i maybe that 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 sounds right because i do remember something like hanging out with people made them stronger and and like improved your actual uh like in the in the actual like the fighting element of that like the rpg part of the game so, One thing that stands out to me about Persona 5 Royal is that it's also this sort of celebration of Persona games up till now, where they have like this one room that's just like, they have like this area that's like separate from time. It's like in another dimension and it's like your, your like secret hideout, like maybe your character's own palace where they have all of these like trophies and things that you're getting and commendations. And then you're essentially just like decking out this location and I don't know, there's a lot of relics from past Persona games. There's all of these outfits from old Persona games. And when you put them on, it changes the music of the, of the battles. So it was kind of cool because I could put like the Persona 4 music into Persona 5 and even, you know, experience of the music for some of the games that I never played. And I thought that that was pretty cool. Yeah, you know, there's a lot of there's a lot of like major additions to the game. And some of them are more complex. Uh, some of them uh, revolve around the battle system. There's a lot. There was a lot of changes made to technical, which was like uh, if enemies have certain status ailments. Um, like I think like one is like forget or confuse or like dazed. Um, you can hit them with Psy to do a technical, which is like an auto crit, and you can uh, improve characters' technicals by going to uh, billiards with them and like playing darts and stuff like that. Uh, and uh, you can get it so that technical is always knocked down. So that that was something that they improved. They made enemies less easy to knock down with just one element and more about, uh, in the later game, about uh, mm -hmm. inflicting status ailments and then following up with, like, you, the uh, element that will technical them. Yeah. So, so like, they, they did all these major, major changes, but for me, actually, the change that I like the most, that, that me means the most to me, is that after you hang out with any of your social links, as you're going home, they call you up and or text you or text yeah. you, and there's an extra, there's extra dialogue related to what's going on with their character, the development you probably saw that day that you hung out with them, and 
like that 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 fills in some of the gaps and makes their character to to me a lot deeper. Makes like that and it, and it's a little bit more, I guess, like realistic. Like I when I hang out with people in real life, that is pretty common. Just to like always say like, oh, it was nice seeing you today. We should do this again sometime. Kind of and. Uh, like the the way that they make the characters pop so much and feel so real uh is is just so much improved by that little just change it means a lot to me that they did that i it was such a cool thing when i started seeing that they were doing that i was like did they do this in the original persona 5 like i i, I could not remember i don't think they, so but one, I know one that thing they that didn't. i one, one thing that i uh also appreciate about that is that since this game has all these extra social links and all this extra content and things that you want to do uh, that's another avenue to level up your social links and just give you a little bit of extra time to do more tasks. Because, you know, the first game is balanced around the amount of social links that it has. Since this one is adding more, it's important that they give you this uh, other way to level that up mm-hmm. or to give you more time. Uh, I, I think the biggest question that a lot of people would have about Persona 5 Royal is, you know, they've played Persona 5. Does Persona 5 Royal justify another playthrough? And it really weirdly enough does. I, I I would I would say I I if don't you don't have to redo any and and they are it is such a long game. So if you have the time and you're you're feeding Persona Five, if if you're, if someone is asking that question, then I would say yes, right? Like if you're if you want an excuse to get back into Persona Five, is it enough? Like it, it actually is. It's not just a minor change. Like there is so much going on. Uh, that improves the game so and there's a whole nother semester and everything at the end like there's a lot of there's a lot of improvements and the game is much longer and a little bit more filled out and it's weird because I really like we were kind of saying is I I don't feel like I could have expected this game to get more filled out so good on them for for not just including some minor changes and doing like a game of the year edition you know what I mean yeah at some point this has to come to other consoles right like it has to like it's bizarre. Also, it's been bizarre to me that like Joker is in Smash, uh, and now you know they've announced at the Game Awards actually that Strikers, uh, Persona Five Strikers, which is literally a sequel to Persona Five, is coming to Switch and to Steam. And it just seems bizarre to do that, having not released Persona Five on these platforms. Uh, at least Steam. Like I-, I could understand having difficulties it over maybe you'd have to make it a lot less slicker looking of a game to yeah, play it it's, on it's it's turn-based so it's like you know it wouldn't take a hit if it's running a little bit worse yeah i do Great wish game. it was on steam it's just easier for me to do anything on steam than it is on yeah PS4. for me too my playstation is literally in another room like this is where this like the the room of the pc is where i'm doing like my business it's where i game where I do the bit. So just a, another thing that I threw in here at the end for March was My Hero One's Justice. So this is the My Hero Academia game, uh, the sequel. So this game is actually pretty good. It's one of these Bandai Namco arena fighters, uh, but I think that it does a lot with the with the IP. Uh, first off, it has like a ton of characters. It has like all the good guys. Like I, you couldn't think of a character in my hero academia that you would want to play as that they don't have uh and and i think that that's really important and each of these characters actually feels different from one another they actually you know they actually do have combos and they do have like juggles and mix-ups and things like that uh so so that's all pretty cool and it does the thing of like 
I just want to, I love this, this like show. So I just want to play as that character. And this gives you that ability. And one of the things that I really liked about it was that aside from the story mode, they had this other single player mode uh, where you're creating your own hero agency. So you're hiring these different heroes based on their abilities. You're equipping them items that sort of like do different things like extra stun damage or does this when you attack. Uh, and then you're just like going through missions and you're trying to figure out like, okay, so for this mission, I need a character that can kind of do this different thing. So I'm going to approach it in this way. And I just thought that that was pretty cool because this isn't a game that like I'd really be keen on going into like ranked play. And like it's just not that kind of game where I'd be like, oh, I want to fight online against other people in this arena fighter that probably has terrible netcode. So having this like single player mode uh, that was pretty robust and pretty different from uh, just, you know, fight after fight. I thought that that was pretty cool. And just, you know, you, you go into this because you want to see the abilities. You want to see, like, them break stuff. You want to play as All Might or you want to play as uh, Deku and stuff like that. So I, I thought that this was good for what it was. I, I think that it would be hard to justify this game uh, for $60. But if you could catch it on sale, it, it's solid. Do you like Do you like My Hero Academia at all? I watched the first, like, two seasons or so very... Uh like just binged it and I and I absolutely loved it and then I just never came back for when for the other stuff I guess I plan to sometimes anime doesn't always especially these days I don't find that anime catches my attention as much because I usually want to play video games or do something more active and I don't think as much about like wanting to just sit down and watch which is weird I think for some people like I, I get more relaxation through uh playing games I feel that and I don't ha- and I have limited uh, free time. So, so it, it like it, it, it takes a, an anime just so often takes so long to get where it wants to go that it's that I find that frustrating. That's true. I, I feel like My Hero Academia is pretty spicy. It is. It is that. pretty pretty spicy from the first two seasons, and I absolutely just love the music and the animation for it. I I, I what got me so interested in in um watching it was uh Nomu versus All Might, which I think is one of the best uh anime fights i have ever seen in my life and i have seen a lot that's i used to just only watch tons and tons of anime and i thought it was an amazing fight just so well so well animated yeah. it, it's, it's a gorgeous fight yeah so april but so this the, is the, the remake thing, april april is interesting because at this point every game that released was a quarantine game right mm-hmm. uh i didn't play a lot of these games so maybe you could tell me a little bit about did you play resident evil 3 i did i got fairly far in resident evil 3 and i did not uh finish it's it's also a shorter game yeah um, i was about to say like when you say you got fairly far do you mean like three hours or what does that look like Like six hours i think it's like an eight hour game wow if i remember correctly um it it was good it's uh i i don't think i i liked it as much as i liked resident evil 2 which i also didn't finish the remake um but i had finished the the original resident evil 2 i never actually played the original resident evil 3 um the resident evil 2 remake is very hard to follow up though because it is and and i I think that part of it also is the setting like I, i think that that police station is just like so amazing like the the dread that they create from uh is mr x is that his name yeah Mr. Uh, X is just like so cool. And I and I didn't actually play the original uh three. 
Um, and I didn't play the remake. So what is what is different about like the environment of three? Oh man! And like, are there any gameplay like changes compared to two? Most definitely. Thank you for reminding me of that too, by the way, because I so I could go. The 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 thing that I don't like over three nearly as much it, uh, compared to two, two. is that. Two is it is famous um, as the classic Resident Evil. There's there's a what I, I I understand that Resident Evil Four is a phenomenal Resident Evil game. It really absolutely is, and I'm not taking anything away from it. But it's also it's a very great game, but it's not entirely Resident. For me, the thing that defined Resident Evil and defines like the feeling and the the, the vibe of Resident Evil in one and two specifically is they did this the best. Is that you have a environment that takes on its own personality and one you're in the mansion and in two you're you spend all your time in this police station um and you do a lot of backtracking through those areas you see a puzzle somewhere and you are like i don't know what i'm supposed to do with this and then later on you you find something and it clicks and you're you realize that key was to that door that you could never get into and you backtrack through it there's like the environment has a personality. The environment yeah. has like a sense of dread. You get like some there. You have this bizarre. There's this bizarre balancing act between being comfortable with knowing the layout and and getting increasingly familiar with the area, but also dreading the area and and not feeling safe anywhere in it. So it's this kind of bizarre thing that that you, you get so used to this one um, like building basically. Uh, yeah. through, uh, over the course of the game um and with resident evil 3 uh especially the remake because i don't remember the resident evil 3 original one actually being as much like this uh resident evil 3 like you are not backtrack it is very much like like there's some minor versions of that but really you are on a rails kind of like you're you're going from one area to the next you aren't like getting familiar you aren't spending tons of time in these areas, um, you're just kind of being ferried from one to the next, and you're a lot of that time. Also, uh, I, I again, I I couldn't possibly I, I remember if this is fully analogous, but the um, in in three, you're pretty much you're getting chased a lot more yeah. than you were in two, um, and when you're getting chased you don't have time to look around or 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 like actually see anything like one big part of re of those other resident evil games is how much time you you kill the the zombies in a room and then you start to poke around and uh research stuff and discover like this this is a puzzle that i can't interact with yet and here's um a key item that may that maybe i can think of another room to use this in and when you're just getting chased then it's just an action game like it's it's it, it's a whole different thing like it can be good but it's not what you think of a lot of cases with Resident Evil. Um, so, so that's a lot of this game. A lot of this game is you're you're never really in the one area. You're never just like doing that Resident Evil style of of um, backtracking through the areas, picking up drops that you are picking up key items that you remembered where you're supposed to go with them, and you're getting chased a lot. So you really don't spend a you, you you're you're on the move a lot. You're running, and and the more you you also start to run, it does create kind of a like that sense of urgency forces you as a player to like not do that um that that kind of weighing your options that that should i use a bullet on this enemy because then it's like no there's no reason to i'm getting chased i gotta run past all these zombies you're not even like most of the time you're just spending running you're not actually like making that hard that tough choice of of like 
do I use the bullet on the zombie? Is that important right now? Do I have enough bullets? If I go into the next room, what's in the next room that could kill me that is less dangerous than this zombie that could kill me right now? Sure. All right. So uh, I've heard a lot of people say that it was fairly dense. So, um, yeah, I, I I feel the same way about four, though. It, it, it has this campaign where you're just like kind of constantly moving through the environments and you like it doesn't really just like moving through like a village is just not as interesting as getting intimate with these areas that feel like they have a lot of like personality, like the mansion in one or the police station. In. Yeah, that's exactly um, why I bring that up. It's like four is also the pinnacle of for a lot of people uh resident evil and it 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 also strayed away from this so i understand uh capcom and their developers thinking like oh no you you don't want to do that um that boring old like we're in a a a a building and you're you're just backtracking through the building again uh and the building itself is its own kind of like puzzle or temple or maze kind of that that would be in another video game um but this Resident Evil Two to me really proved that it was the that, that it was still a strong formula. And the, one of the coolest things about Resident Evil Two, I think, what people really love about Resident Evil Two, when you get down to it, is that it is as a remake. It's one of the strongest things because it doesn't lean fully on just uh, making better assets for the exact original game. It does a better job uh, of doing what you remembered for the from the original game like it does a better job getting the same kind of the similar kind of emotions and dread uh, uh, that you felt when you were younger and the graphics looked terrible but they looked realistic at the time um yeah kind of like like some of the remakes these days are are doing a phenomenal job if i like i i'm trying to think of other ones too that that do as good a job uh with the the flavor of the first one and not being married to just every single thing being exactly like it was they're doing they it's like more like you remember it if that if you understand like the difference if if that makes sense that difference like it's not exactly what it was but it's with the way you remember it and then you have games that totally change it that are like completely remade like final fantasy 7 yeah which came out a week after resident evil 3 yeah, I haven't. I th- this is on my my log. I'm ready to play this like right now. Um, but uh, it it looks good. It, it made its way up all general like game of the year charts, and I haven't heard anything but good things. It is kind of weird. I find that for this might just be my like empirical. This might just be my from from what I've seen. But games that are like Neo Two and Final Fantasy Seven uh, Remake games that are uh, console exclusive have this 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 they're kind of like muffled like in in i i guess it could just be for me but i just also feel like i don't hear about them as much from a wider gaming audience until they are across all platforms does that make sense uh yeah i mean i i'm waiting for this final fantasy remake so this is technically like final fantasy remake Final Fantasy VII Remake Part, Part One. 1. You know what's cr- crazy is is I opened it uh, last night. I was like, I'm gonna play this. This finally, and I opened it up, and there's two discs, and you have to, and there's a 50 minute install on the first disc, and that felt nostalgic. I gotta be honest. I to open up a disc based game in 2020 and see two discs. I was like, this is the Final Fantasy VII feeling because Final Fantasy VII was four discs. It's this big like. It, it it is such a beast compared to like any other game of that time the fact that it that it was this massive chunky block that was four discs long 
it's pretty wild. Yeah. Whew. So next up on this list is the Trials of Mana remake, which is pretty... I mean, the first game was uh, 2D, isometric, like not even, it's like an overhead, like Pokemon graphics kind of game. And this one is, you know, beautiful 3D, like very active combat. Uh, so it's it's significantly different. From so that the falls first. in that other category. That does it is yeah. it is does it fall in the category of remakes that kind of work the way you remember them, or is it this is like no this this inspires very little nostalgia because it is so different. I did not play the first one, but my understanding is that all of the town layouts and everything are exactly the same as they were in the first game, and they kind of just like remapped everything. I think they left in all of like the terrible dialogue that's like very, very, you know, early JRPG. But as far as games go, it's a pretty decent game. And I think that it's actually pretty unique in its setup where at the start of the game, you're choosing there are like six characters and you're choosing one character whose story you're going to follow and then two characters who are going to assist you. And the way that the story plays out is like totally different depending on who you choose because of the six characters, there's like sets of two that are fighting the same antagonist. So there are like these three main antagonists. And depending on if you choose like uh, two characters that are both fighting the same antagonist, then the way this, that story plays out is different. If certain characters would be romantically interested in others, that, play, that makes it play out uh, narratively different. So they're doing these kind of things that are pretty um, original, I would say, for a JRPG on top of being um, like pretty heavily action-focused. Another cool thing is that every character has a sort of class tree where you have Angela, who starts out as a magician, and then you get to a pivotal moment in the game where she gets to choose between a light class or a dark class so she could become a sorcerer or a mysticist. And then from there, she be, she could become an archmage, a grand diviner, a magus, a runeseer. And then eventually she gets a mastery class and can be like a mystic queen or a spellbinder. Um, and, and so I thought that all of those setups were pretty cool. I did find the gameplay to be pretty easy, even on the harder difficulty levels. Um, and I don't know, there were like some, like the boss, like the boss fights were pretty interesting and they were kind of worth playing for. But, and you know, this is a classic JRPG problem where everything that's not a boss fight is kind of just going through the motions. And I don't know if it's like better or worse when it's like one of these action games where it's, you know, I mean, this is something that I thought a lot about playing Yakuza uh, Like a Dragon where the older Yakuza games were beat-em-ups, but this one is turn-based. And in both of these games, you're kind of uh, fighting just like these like very low-level mobs that you're kind of just grinding through. And in Yakuza Like a Dragon, since it's a turn-based game, one of the cool things is you could just turn on like auto-fighting, and then eventually you get uh, items that allow you to just um, not run into people in the overworld entirely. So, What is the name of that item? I, it's a, it's repel. It's like deodorant or something. It's a it's a charm. Okay. So it's like an accessory that you equip onto a character, and then you don't run into stuff anymore. But the way that you explain Yakuza, it, it's it seemed like it would be something more clever. Like it would be like onion breath or something, like garlic, and then people would be like, "Oh, I don't want to see you. I don't want to fight you." 
I don't know what it is. It's some type of uh, amulet. Okay. But uh, Trials of Mana, like the story is kind of forgettable. I I think it looks pretty good. It's doing some original things. Uh, But unfortunately, I do think that overall it's kind of forgettable, which is, uh, I don't know. It's like fun while you're playing it, but it's kind of like popcorn, right? Or something like mm-hmm. that, where it's like you're not going to like remember it later well, on. Popcorn is always a good uh, analogy because popcorn just like fizzles away to nothing in your mouth once the saliva touches. Yeah, uh, it's, a, it's a real 6.5 or 7, you know. Um, a game that is far more memorable, I would say, is Legends of Runeterra, which is the Riot Games League of Legends people's uh, answer to Hearthstone. It's their collectible card game. Uh, <coughs> sorry, it's it's one of those games also that's been kind of playable for a while. So it's like the release date itself feels somewhat unremarkable, right? Yeah. But it, it's doing some pretty cool things, and it's and it's uh, really it justifies uh, being a digital card game because of the, some of the stuff it does. The core mechanic of Legends of Runeterra is that. Uh, there are these champion cards, and the champions are essentially like the characters that you find in League of Legends, like Teemo and Garen and Jinx. And you base a, a deck around the fact that you could have six champion cards in it. Um, typically, you would want to put multiple of the same champion in, so you make a deck that's just like Jinx, like three of Jinx and three of Zed, and that's your six champion cards. And the the whole deck is kind of built around what the champions do. So Jinx, for example, her ability is that she levels up when she is when your hand is completely empty. So you want to create this situation where Jinx is on the field and you completely empty your hand. So you build your deck around the idea of like there are these really powerful cards, but they cause you to discard something. And once you level her up, and that's like the core mechanic of this game is like all of the legends have a level up mechanic and once you activate it uh they become ridiculously powerful so when she levels up uh she draws extra cards at the start of a turn and gets access to like a rocket ability which she could use to uh just deal some some really strong spell damage to the enemies uh so so that stuff is pretty is is pretty cool because it kind of gives you a direction uh, for your decks, but there's enough legends and and and, and stuff like that so that it doesn't feel uh, so on rails. Because I I think that one of the worries about the way that this system could work is that you feel like all right, so this is the Garen package, yeah, and it all goes in together, and that exists to a certain extent. But because of the way that the there is multiple legends that you're creating. Uh, the idea of building like a Vladimir Brom deck is totally different than the idea of building a Vladimir Heimerdinger deck or a Vladimir Darius deck or something like that. Um, so, so I thought that this game is doing some really cool things, and I think that it's also the most free uh, collectible card game that's available, where it's actually very achievable to get a full set in this game as a free-to-play player. Obviously, as uh, time goes on, that full collection becomes harder to obtain. But because of the way that the system works, uh, there is no pack opening in this game. You essentially assign yourself to a faction. So you say, like, I'm going to go down the Bilgewater uh, faction track. And as you do that, you're unlocking all of these Bilgewater cards. 
and you're also as you go down the track of any of any faction you're getting wild cards so you get like a, a wild epic card which lets you craft any epic card you get wild legendaries which do the same thing uh so you're never like pulling open packs as you do your your dailies and your weekly quests um what you're doing is you're strengthening this like weekly chest opening and at that weekly chest opening you'll typically you'll get uh wild cards and sometimes they'll get champion cards but mostly you just get the wild cards so that you can really craft the deck that you want and and i think that that's pretty cool because it's pretty achievable of like you see a streamer do this amazing deck and you just want to do it so it's pretty easy to do it yourself without you know spending a ton of money trying to get just the right cards yeah it's it's kind of it isn't it's such a bold choice to not to take away the um that addictive element of pack opening um and just try and having the player initially feel like this is cool and I'm getting to make decks around what I'm finding. And then before you realize that, like, if you don't have the tools, you can't build these decks. Like, you you can't just find one good card and build a deck around it because usually decks would require multiple of, of like, uh, cards to, to back that up. And uh, this game, taking that out of the equation, taking that, like, addictive nature of, oh, I'll just roll... A few more decks and or like packs, and hopefully I get the cards that I that I want. And just taking it entirely to like a Hearthstone dust system without actually ever having to open the packs is pretty wild. Like if you just have, like you said, if you have a goal in mind, you could just make those cards, and it's, there's not a random element to it. There's not. It's not like um you could spend three hundred dollars and not get the cards you wanted. You'll, you'll, yeah, just, exactly. you'll just get it you just you just get that exact card like you either you work for it as a free-to-play player and you get the exact cards you want slower or you could buy stuff to increase that but you're still going to get the exact cards you want you're still just crafting the cards you want yeah and the and the other part about this uh that that separates it from other games uh like specifically hearthstone is that hearthstone you don't really interact with your opponent so much where on their turn, it's their turn, and they do everything they want to do, and you are just kind of waiting for your turn. And in this game, there's this very, like, tit-for-tat reaction of, like, they do a thing, and then you do a thing. They put a card down, and then you get to put a card down. Uh, One player is the attacker, one player is the defender, so only the attacker gets to attack, but the defender still gets to respond, and they get to also break the sequence through doing, like, quick spells... So there's like the quick spells and then there's like the slow spells. There's the monster cards that you put down and, and it just feels a lot more like dynamic and, and like there's a lot more decisions being made in this game of like checking out how much energy they have before uh, they attack and things like that. Like what could they possibly do and things like that. Whereas in Hearthstone, it's just like I'm it's the enemy's turn. It's like my turn. Uh, do I play this card? I'm I'm trying to make a guess about what the opponent has as a card. And that's just like far less interesting. Like you're not doing as much like baiting in Hearthstone about like, I'm going to put out this weak card and see if they have direct damage to destroy it. And if they do destroy it, then I could put down this heavier card. And, and that's just not something that you get as much of in Hearthstone as you do in, in Legends of Runeterra. And I think Runeterra is kind of better for it. I, I think that when Runeterra exists, there's no reason at all to play Hearthstone. And I think that that's a good thing. Yeah, it's good. <laughs> it is like, if you want um, card games, Magic the Gathering Arena is phenomenal. It, it's incredible. And it 
it it is 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 the long running card game and it's definitely um more i guess daunting to even look at um compared to rune terra but then rune terra also is the more digital side of the card game of like more like magic the gathering arena has animations and everything like that but this is the, this like is a game built digitally for card games so you have like the hero kind of the ways that the hero mechanics work and drawing multiple and, heroes and, and getting the spells of, of of yeah you just slam down the hero and like you get like all of that league of legends flavor from the hero when they level up there's like this massive animation yeah so uh, some of the and things stuff is so cool some of the things like the leveling up and when you get uh copies of the hero in your hand you get an ability you get a, a, a spell kind of instead it are the kind of things that are ground up digital games so so digital card games so like in the the that was what Hearthstone kind of had going for it as like a fully digital card game uh, automating all this RNG because that's really the only thing that they use. Yeah, Hearthstone made it just they Hearthstone automated RNG. took it in the wrong direction where it's just like the benefit of this is that we can automate all this RNG. So let's make tons of RNG and gnomes yeah. and just uh, make the whole game based on these dice rolls. Yeah, uh, you get less of that in Runeterra. I would say there's less of like deal four to six damage uh <laughs> so that's a really good thing the other thing that feels great about room terra is right i don't know what they're gonna do with um cycling cards in and out i don't know if that's something that they'll have to do uh, i think you have to do that, that automatically that is that is a literal like that is a future problem for every single card game because there's no card game that hasn't done that I believe like you can yeah, so, do that. To so we'll, we'll see what that looks like because the other thing about Runeterra is that they just nerf and buff cards. And, and I think that that works like that's a little bit more elegant in this game just because those card like card acquisition is so simple that like you're not ruining someone's like $130 like assembly of cards when you when you nerf something. Uh, and th so they've been doing like a lot of just like patching of cards and things like that so we'll see what it looks like and maybe they just do it of like um champion reworks or something like that right mm -hmm. Be because one of the other benefits of runeterra is that when i go back to runeterra like i jump in from time to time i don't feel behind in, in the way that i would in a hearthstone where it's like okay all of my stuff is um out of rotation and now I have to try to start over and collect new stuff. It, it's kind of cool that you don't have to worry about that as much in in Runeterra for the time being. Did um so so those are the April releases. But I did also put here. So this is a, a WTDG April game, and that's uh, Civilization Six. Okay, so it didn't come out. One one of the the challenges of of the pandemic is just um you know we love board games and we really haven't been able to play them in in. 2020 as much as we'd like to uh so we've been playing these uh you know we played a bit of tabletop simulator but we also played a bit of civilization six which is a really good uh digital board game that uh could never actually be emulated as a real board game um but it's a it is a solid game i think at this point a lot of people would say that it's the best civilization but civilization was new for you yeah. So I'd love to hear some of your thoughts about it. I, I had so much fun. Like I, I was so impressed with it. Like it, it is, a, it does benefit from being uh, a video game over uh, a board game. Board games actually, for a long time, have tried to emulate the the 
Civ come like re- really just the the literal Sid Meier's civilization style gameplay of of taking of building up from the Stone Age to uh, finding roots and building a town and kind of uh, simulating um, the slow progress of like technology and philosophy. Um, and that is near impossible to do without just an extravagant, ridiculous rule teaching eight hour board game. And so a lot of this, the games that try and do that for board games are these long component heavy, ridiculously complex, like require uh, a, a huge uh, like mountain of a teach. And civilization does that fairly well with a pretty good like like it it obviously is automating all that kind of stuff and uh you don't have to have the like crazy amounts of components or something all spread out on an impossibly large table uh and that just stuff feels good like i i ended up playing a lot of it i was sick during this time like i was like if if this is when you're is this are you sure this is like when we were playing this i, I yes, guess it must have i been... checked i checked the um the the dates on our podcasts yeah so, so civ was was when i was like i i had coronavirus and i was home for two weeks and this was something that that we got into a little bit i got to play with friend of the show uh kevin and i feel like a lot of people were having a really good time with this game at uh around this time and it, it was a really good game for especially for being just sick and having and like being in that kind of haze where like i just like a brain fog all the time and i have a fever and just feel garbage uh civ is the kind of thing where i just was interested to re-roll a different civilization see the differences with the the civilization had and see kind of how it went like it would i i feel like it's like a similar thing of like uh rts kind of games where I would do well in the beginning and have a good control of it, and I'm growing faster than my uh, my AI-controlled partners that are set on probably easy, and everything is going great. And then at some point, I just like lose the thread. Like I'm just not building as quick or using resources as quick, or I bottleneck, and then all of a sudden someone's got nukes or something, and or they roll it, they get angry at me. And I'm usually just trying to play my my little building game. Like I'm very rarely getting yeah. aggressive. The AI is is pretty vicious. But, but one of the cool things about it is is that they they act like the different AI act differently. They have these secret agendas where like they will the player doesn't know this right away, but there are certain things that they will like or dislike when you do. And it, what the thing that makes this so neat is that. Uh, the different characters that are available. And there's like so many different factions. There's even more since we played. There's a lot of DLC. Yeah, they added a ton, and it, which is, this is like such a a full package at this point. Um, but the characters will have like fixed things where it's like this character always feels this way. This character loves it when you bring them religion. Uh, and And so some of them are fixed, but then half of them are secret and you can't find out about them until you like, send spies or do some level of diplomacy and you learn more about them. And then that's the only way to learn what they really like. And it's the only way to really keep them off of your, off of your back is to sort of learn those things. And I, I love that because I don't know how I would feel trying to do a full, a full game of civilization with human opponents. Like, I feel like that would be brutal. So it, it's good that the AI in this game is as robust and like interesting and flavorful as it is. Yeah. Um, 
it's also like I I would hope to revisit Civilization Six. Like if if people felt the hankering for it, that's a game that I would happily go back to. Like it's a game that uh, it feels different enough every time I play it to where I don't feel like it's so easy to burn out on. Is that Civ Six? Have you gotten? No, and I think uh, you know we kind of hit a dead zone in May. And speaking of dead, uh, a game that came out in May was Crucible. Oh damn! Oh dang! Sort of like the premier game from the Amazon Game Studios. It was out for about uh, maybe two to three weeks, uh, and then they pulled the game and said we're putting this back into beta. And since bringing it back into beta, I'm not sure if they killed it, which would be a shame because this game actually had some really nice looking character models, like decent voice work. No, they Every, uh, they killed it, killed it. Everything aside from the game itself was was pretty cool, but this game otherwise was dead in the water of just being like such a boring generic, like sort of like, I, I don't even know how I would explain this game of like, it's like MOBA-esque a little bit, a little bit like Battleborn, uh, but also had too many game modes. So no, like, so it is a lot. So so a little bit more like Battleborn because that's yeah. kind of what sunk Battleborn is not having one vision is trying to have your cake and eat it too. Like, well, there's three or four different game modes we're launching with. Well, how about you just try and get one everyone into one hopper and do a good job balancing a singular game type so that people when people say I like Crucible, they know what you're talking about and not like, well, I like Crucible. But I don't like the battle royale part of Crucible. I play the this mode of Crucible. Like that's I play the MOBA version. Yeah, you're, I, you're jumping it was the an absolutely insane idea. Developers like so Crucible and Amazon Game Studios in general. It feels very much like the Amazon element of it. I feel like is way too represented. It it feels like a major. It feels like it's a big uh company with a lot it of feels money like it was it. designed by a board of people yes, who it, said like what do people like in video games exactly like it feels like this big thing that is beholden to shareholders it feels the same way that a company feels where it makes safe decisions and it has a lot of monetary backing so it was they were able to make um a gorgeous looking game that just lacked a lot of soul and had no singular driving vision um, it, it just, it feels exactly like that. It feels like something that Amazon would make very heartless, uh, but very well-produced, um, with no driving vision. Like you, you are at like, they're, they're, they do so many things that I think most gamers, like, or, or a lot of people who just even follow the game industry at all would tell you is wrong idea to do. Like, do you don't battle for them to have failed in this endeavor it feels like in a lot of cases they could have just gotten a simple message from Battleborn that that is like if you you can't launch something with six or seven with all these different hoppers and ways to play the game just try and like maybe in the future you can try different modes if you establish a player base but have the game do one thing and one thing differently and well to the point where people say I can only get the I I played Crucible and maybe it's not perfect, but it's the only game that feels like it's doing this. But instead, they tried to do everything. They tried to have their their do their epic games um, segue to like uh, a battle royale, just to throw that at the at the the wall. Like everything, they're just they're, they're, it was just throwing spaghetti at the wall. Absolutely. 
It's and it's much... sad. It's it's shuttered, shuttered. Like it's it's dead. It's completely dead. It's like it went back into. It was out of. It was kind of weird though, because didn't it kind of it launched launched. They were like, here it is, it's out. And then when it was like not doing well, like because people reviewed it and everything, and it came out, and then they were like, well, you know what? Maybe that was a beta, and we'll we'll take this back. And then while it went back into the oven, it I guess overcooked and just exploded. So yeah, for what it's worth, they refunded everybody who purchased anything in the game. Man, I, I you know I don't I don't care that much about about amazon spending and wasting money right I don't, I don't really care at all but it is brutal to imagine how many people worked on this game and for the game to see the light of day uh get you know uh, a terror like kind of uh slaughtered in reviews and then go back and then they they made the bold choice of putting it back into the oven to make it a better game and then to see it die during that time like how many people good people were working on that it had to be good people because it, it was a really gorgeous game and the and it's not that nobody there it's not that nobody working on it had any soul or or it meant anything to them yeah. like i'm sure there, there are also definitely people who were developers and programmers and just people who loved games who were working on this who knew they were producing something that like wasn't gonna like turn out well like they said like to their like product managers or something like this is a bad idea and the product manager said yeah but do it anyway this is what the shareholders want they want a battle royale they want this and they want that and they want a moba because that's league of legends and they league of legends makes all this money but they want an action game because that's because that's does better like that tests better people are more interested to jump into an action year game than they are a slow top-down moba so make that and like and don't forget to make it esports. It's even more yeah, make it esports right out the gate, which has like never not worked, right, guys? And then it's 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 weird because if you if you're a bunch of if you're looking at this the way that I imagine Amazon and these like shareholders and higher ups that are just like throwing spaghetti at the wall, why don't you look at the writing on the like what about Paragon? What about Battleborn? This like that kind of thing has been tried before. That's not new especially these days that's not new to say to have a third person action style of mmo of, of of moba and i'm not saying that it's impossible to do but look at two phenomenal incredible failures like in paragon and battleborn and see what went wrong in it usually the problem with this game is at a core level and the and the core level is that in an action game you want to feel an impact when you do something well or you actually like headshot someone or something and you can't do that in a MOBA because usually there's an element of of economy and uh, RPG and an RPG element that kind of guides what how much damage you're doing how much damage you take so then you get to this awkward part where in the beginning of the game you feel awful and it doesn't matter that you're aiming well or doing anything like you're just tickling enemies usually like they you just don't do a lot of damage up front and then you get to a part later in the game where you do feel strong and i i know for a fact that crucible didn't balance that well i know that games took a little bit too long um i know that the map was too big that they when they put it back into the, the oven they were going to try and make the map a little bit smaller so that you actually are fighting humans rather than just kind of going everywhere to uh, push different waves and then never really seeing humans because the map is so big that you're just kind of ships in in the night um so like there were some clear problems that 
I feel like should have been addressed before they ever it ever saw the light of day that you could have just said our our, our basic issues with this type of genre that were just never addressed yeah. and and it's not like there weren't games that already failed because of it so so that was the only big uh, May release that was pertinent to us anyway to an extent I mean or for the sake of discussion but we also played Fort uh, which did release this release on. Uh, tabletop simulator which means it's pretty fair game to discuss in a video game podcast uh so fort is by letter games so they also created root and vast and soon to be oath they love the they love the four letters so so fort was pretty cool fort is uh maybe one of their definitely their simplest game i would say and the idea of it is uh, you are trying to you're playing as a group of kids and you're working together to construct the best uh, fort. And, and that's pretty much the the flavor of the game. And it's pretty simple. And once you get into it, it's pretty fast. Uh, the art, as usual, by Letter Games is beautiful. And the Tabletop Simulator mod, which is, it, it's a free mod, and it was created by, uh, it was by the people at Letter Games, not created by them, but, you know, sort of like uh, sanctioned by them. And it has scripting in it, so this is a very easy game to just like uh, play with minimal effort, and I, and I think that it's definitely worth checking. It's a really good game, yeah. It's 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 one of those very fairly uh, tight balances existing on that razor edge margin of like simple enough that you can teach it to uh, people that maybe don't play a lot of board games, and that they are people's eyes aren't going to roll back into the back of their head as you explain this game. Uh, and still more co- like complex enough that after you're finished, you won't feel like we've already done it. You don't need to do it again. Um, you might, you probably want to play it immediately after it's done. Um, it's yeah. it's a it's a definitely a cool game like that. Like there's a lot of different interesting mechanics that are again like simple to wrap your head around. So uh, and the the cards are well designed to fit into different types of synergies. It's a it's a good. It's a really good game. It's a really good package too. Like it, it like you said, it, they, the art is so gorgeous, and like the components. I, are I own cool. the physical version of this game. I haven't been able to play it, but I, I sure hope to crack it open at some point. One um, day. One day. Of the when... show. Uh, Paul said that uh, after playing so much tabletop simulator, uh, the idea of doing setup for games is kind of dreadful to him. Just because of how easy and elegant it is when everything is set up for you, yeah. In, in these mods, and, and I kind of get where he's coming from. I get where he's there. coming from, but I feel like I I never could think that because there is like an element of enjoying the components. Uh, yeah, exactly. Uh, so in June, this uh, small indie company developed a Valorant, and that came out on June second. We had been playing it um, since the middle of April, but June is when Valorant. 1.0 officially came out. I, it, it, I, I was trying to think of when we actually did get uh, the, this game. Like when, because when the middle of April, the middle of April. Yeah, like we had already. I, I, I got it like ten days after everybody else. That that's a whole another thing. Like what a what a um bad taste to have originally put in everyone's mouth. Like uh the the way that they uh ended up launching this into a more open beta was that you had to uh, sign into a Twitch account and watch uh, Twitch streamers that were granted access, and there were randomly drops uh, sent to, like, your your account and your your Riot account. Like, you had to 
uh, link your Riot account with your Twitch account and watch Valorant streamers and get lucky with it. Uh, in the beginning, there was like it, the 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 flow that was so slow that people were getting really angry, uh, and it was just it's a it's a smart. I could see why it's a it's a it's a obviously a good idea because it pumps Valorant all the way up to the, the Twitch charts. And what else does better? No one markets your video game better than just that style of gorilla that gorilla style where you just have people playing it like better than better than any sort of commercial is going to twitch and seeing that the top game is valorant and checking it out and seeing a streamer you like is streaming valorant that is like by, by far the thing that would probably get people interested the most if it's a good game if it's a good game um but it is frustrating for a lot of people for a lot of people the way that they did this and they just weren't getting lucky and they were forced to just have a valorant stream uh rolling 24 7 and it artificially boosted up those numbers you know yeah and the system wasn't as as uh it wasn't like linear of like the more you watch the higher your chances are that exists to an extent but with diminishing returns um but we don't really have to get too much into the system but i i will say that they did quite a few changes uh, from beta to release, even in such a small amount of time. Uh, very big changes to the economy, a lot of changes to the way that the the map itself. I don't know if the Omen changes came before or after the game came out, but like... With the way he looked or...? With the way that his um, his smokes came out, where they sort of, you place the smoke... Oh, they, that, that was actually after the game came out, I believe. Because before that, you were there was this really an elegant thing where you just used to kind of have to guess where it would be, and you could look on the map where it would be, but you didn't know anything about the elevation of where the smoke is. So I think we're we're jumping the gun anyway, though, because uh, Valorant is Riot's version of Counter Strike is a tack shooter. Um, it is uh, also uh, using like the the Overwatch style of uh, hero kind of gameplay, but it has that but wrapped in. Uh, the tack shooter clothing where uh, you are not supposed to be walking and shooting uh, and get away with that, but that happens. Um, but the idea is like you uh, bullets don't go where you're aiming, especially when you're moving. Uh, you have to be very precise. You have to stop. You have to learn when to spray the, the gun, when to burst the gun, when to like tap the gun. Uh, tack shooters usually have ridiculously low time to kills. Like if you get shot in the head, you're just kind of dead. Um, and exactly like Counter-Strike, they have, uh, Valorant has the whole um, attack and defend uh, style gameplay where it's five versus five and one person, one group is placing the bomb. The other group is trying to defend them from ever placing the bomb and uh, if they do place the bomb, they're trying to defuse the bomb. Um, I was so excited about this game when it first uh, was was being uh, shown off because I, I really always liked Counter-Strike, but there are major problems with Counter-Strike in my mind. Like, first of all, from an aesthetic level, it does nothing for me. Like, it even... So I yeah. find Source games to be fairly soulless. There's no um, real vibe or anything. It's just... Um, it's just, you know, tactical. Like, it's just, uh, like... Terrorists. Terrorists and counter-terrorists. Like, it's just tactical. There's nothing to, to grab onto. Um, the maps are... Some of them are, are, are good-looking. I have always liked Inferno. Um, and everyone but I, likes... I think that the, the maps, like, 
I mean, one thing, I don't think that the maps are a knock against Counter-Strike, though. I think that the maps are extremely well-designed in Counter-Strike. Extremely well-designed, but but again, like, the, the overall... Just for me, uh, I, I like that Valorant has an aesthetic choice. Like, they're, they're, whether or not you like it, it, it is a pervasive aesthetic choice. Um, I like having the unique characters and heroes that have yeah. uh, their own design and, and their voice, voice lines that are going off all the time. Um, there's a lot of there's a lot more personality, I guess, is like the main thing that that I would say Counter Strike severely lacks and lacks any sort of personality. And Source Engine doesn't help that. Um, Far I, and away, though, the biggest problem with Counter Strike is the cheating. Yes. So that was that was like the, one of the main things that was being sold to us originally was was uh, a more aggressive anti cheat system. Um, they have uh, this whole like fog of war technology where you're not supposed to be able to aimbot because you're on the uh, sir, on the client side, you, uh, your game isn't even loading things that you can't see, which was the big issue. Like that um, in in Counter Strike, your game loads the entire map, so you can have these uh, like hacks that would allow you to see through the map because you are being you are seeing it from the server side but the server side for riot apparently for invalorant is just showing you what you're allowed to see and just loading in what you would actually be on uh visible so it's supposed to have those things supposed to have more aggressive anti-cheat um and what else were the other things oh uh, uh peaker's advantage was a big thing that they were they were going after i having played the entire year with this game I, I wouldn't say that they were 100% successful in all those endeavors, but I would say that they have done a generally phenomenal job, especially um, if you're if with the comparison, because uh, when I, I played plenty of Counter Strike, and when Valorant went out of the beta, there was a there's a short week period of time where uh, we couldn't play Valorant. And what I did instead was just play Aim Trainers and Counter Strike. And when I played Counter Strike, every game had cheaters in it. And we, uh, uh, friend of the show Ryan Galway, thank you Ryan Galway and Bumper for use of music. We use the intro and outro. You can get it off the new album Beyond uh, Pop Songs 2020. Um, you can find them at uh, YouTube, where you can find links to their merchandise. Uh, we were playing Counter Strike, and we played a couple ranked games. And just the cheating in that game is so brutal like it's actually it's way more like people are flying around the map people are like are are running tapping and stuff like that and it's way worse than like in valorant i have rarely seen like hyper cheating like there, there was one there's a couple it was weird because there was this time where for uh there was it must have been like a new hack got out and uh, I was I played a couple death matches and there's two death matches in a row that had someone just standing in an open room and swiveling perfectly around and headshotting everyone, which is like, what is even the purpose? I don't even get cheating sometimes. Like, was it just to try out that cheating software? Because you're going to get the account banned and it doesn't make any sense that you're going to try and get your account banned for a ranked list mode like deathmatch and you're going to try and be as obvious as you, you're being. Um then, then there's sometimes infrequently, uh, we we still do see stuff where we're a little concerned. Like, is this actually cheating? And it's it's pretty hard to tell. There's no way to do replays, which I think is going to be the thing to make it even easier to tell um, in the future. Or if people are just good, or their crosshair placement is good, or they're lucky, or sometimes you don't even know if they're communicating. But overall, what's so important is that you have a little bit more peace of mind. It feels a little bit more put together than. 
in Counter-Strike yes. where you never have peace of mind. Like, in every Counter-Strike, I, I cannot even think of any time that I'd play Counter-Strike and not th- and not have in the back of my mind, this person that's doing well, are they cheating? But I, I yeah. love Valorant. Like, I, I guess, like, I'm, I'm, I, it, it, I'm all over the place for, like, what the promise of Valorant was... Um, I love Valorant so much. It, it, yeah. it, it they, they, at the end of the, at the, like, at the end of this, at the end of this year, to look back on it, they succeeded at the very least for me in taking the things that I loved about Tax Shooter, that 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 hyper precision, and that like the the way that all the guns feel different, and how good it feels to get a headshot or something, or like tap someone's head, or 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 the fact that you can you can ace a team, like you, it, because the time to kill is so low, if you get to jump on the enemy or use your abilities uh, intelligently or the enemy misses that first bullet and you don't and you keep cool and like actually do a good job shooting like you can do so much in this game and i for those reasons i love this game like i love tax shooters for being able to have these like hyper carries um yeah the servers are pretty well put together too i mean they're not perfect oh yeah that's true I've, i've never experienced like lag like i've never felt like oh that enemy is lagging so they were able to act in this act in this way that like was unexpected or different from the norm yeah and and i think that that's a big deal too um and you don't see you never see them acting you never see the enemy like teleporting around or anything like that like there is uh like excellent netcode generally um yeah the roster is pretty good the maps are pretty good i I will say that right now uh it it feels sparse it's good for where it is right now so i think that valorant is a game that will get better as time goes on, as more stuff is added, you know, and, and I'm excited to see where it goes. I think that the monetization is a little wild in this game. Um, the The prices are, are, you know, the prices are what they are. The game is, uh, you don't have to pay for anything. Like, paying will not give you an advantage in any way. All that you can buy are gun skins and, and like, uh, you know, like wall sprays and things like that. But the the monetization is a little wild because like a, a pack of guns will cost you seventy dollars and it doesn't even come like the like they the, the big thing about the guns is that like they have different animations they have different reloads they could come in different colors but like they'll they'll sound different like the reloads will be different like the pullout animations will be different but all of those uh, animations are paid for by a separate currency so you pay seventy dollars for a pack of skins and you don't even get the animations until you upgrade them with the secondary currency uh that you pretty much only get through the battle passes so you kind of get like a finite number of it per season unless you want to spend like an extremely exorbitant amount uh to to upgrade like 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 i'm talking like four like forty dollar pack of upgrade currency will not even upgrade fully your seventy dollar guns. It's like yeah, it, it's wild. It is really um, weird that they went with this system, and it's definitely working out for them in in part due to dumbass people like myself. But I, I think that I saw um, top earners uh, for the year, and Valorant was like fourth or fifth. Oh yeah, it makes sense. It does. I mean, yeah. Uh, one of the interesting things about the way the cosmetics work in this game is that you don't see or hear any effects that are not. Oh, really? Out of your so only mind. it's only that was only generated on the specific player side that they see where their bullets went. But that's right. Okay. And and I think your teammates too will see the darts, but the enemies uh, will not. You, essentially, like the different 
uh, like uh, sounds of the skin and things like that. And the visuals even, like, they don't do anything. Like, if you have an operator, this big sniper rifle, that shoots a laser instead of shooting, like, a bullet, the enemies won't see that laser. They'll see just the regular operator shot. Yeah. Um, and, and that's just to help with visual clarity in a way that, you know, doesn't present an advantage. Because let's say that you had a gun that shot, like, a black laser. That would be a little harder to track than this giant red glowing bullet from the operator that it usually is. Yeah. Um, Valorant's cool. It is really good. Yeah. The, the the updates have been have been very good. They've generally done a lot of things that I maybe would have at the time thought of as very controversial changes and have worked out in the long run, with the exception of, like, I'm still not in full agreement with the more recent changes to Cypher, even though I re- understand why they did that. And I would also say that, that I, I do fully agree with you. I think one of the worst things to say about this game and it is new but it is new in 2020 and that is a uh that is an important distinction to make because you can it's it's fine and all to say that you're new and you don't have certain systems like like there is almost zero from from at least that is displayed to 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 uh, to like us the players in in the the way of like stat tracking and uh it for a tactical game that is um in increasing esport you you really need to have stuff like uh replays to be able to look at what was what happened like i had a bad game what was i looking at or i had a good game what was i doing that looked different from on the outside what was the kind of things like where were what was my my mouse looking like in a lot of cases and i want to be able to look at uh, enemies and say before i i think whether or not they could be cheaters. I want to be able to look at them and and watch their replay and and watch what, and maybe what their their movement maybe, was like. Maybe they're not a cheater, and maybe it's like maybe, maybe they're just really good at the game. And in which case, the matchmaker sucks. Yeah. And it's like, why is the matchmaker putting me up against these people? I I want to see these kind of things. Like I I feel like it's it's 2020, and you're releasing a competitive game. Like how is there not literal th- like I there's no way to see how long I've been playing this game on the client. There's no way to see the amount of kills I've gotten with the client. There's on with any type of gun. There's no way to look at um, my overall greater history. I can't look at like all like how many wins do I have in unrated and losses do I have in unrated? Like there's there's third party uh, stuff that does that. Like uh, Blitz GG, I think is what it's called. There's like yeah. third party stuff that can kind of surface some of that information, but that sh- kind of stuff should be in the client. I should be able to look at that kind of stuff. It's important. Like a, like a val- like Overwatch has gotten has done a better and increasingly better job. But I I remember them always having really good stat tracking. You always were able to. Uh, look and see your general performance with different characters, your overall performance on each character. How many? I, I love this kind of thing. Overwatch has these this graph where it shows um, your most played characters on a bar graph, and you get to scroll down and look like, oh, I guess I've never realized that I've only played like 30 minutes entirely of Sombra. But look, I've never realized I've been playing tons of McCree, but I didn't know I was playing like 400 hours of it. Like that is that is the kind of cool stuff that it's so easy to look at that stuff and kind of get lost in it and be happy with the way that you've spent so much time and progressed. In League of Legends, they do such a good job at this point. Like, they've got, like, the mastery system where you're, like, leveling up your character and you're getting 
like cards. You're getting like things that show like the things that you've done on this character. And they have this in, in uh, and you know, we've discussed this exact thing on the podcast before, but in Apex Legends, they also have like these character specific challenges that are new badges that you have trackers so that like when people see like the, the champion squad and your name is there and they see like all of these things that you've done with Watson, they're like, oh shit, there's like this really powerful Watson player here. So we have to be careful about, you know, those like going into areas that have her defenses in them. And, and that kind of stuff is, is lacking from this really? game. Like what if, like, like what if they, what if they saw like, Oh, this cypher player is super serious about cypher. He has all of these like achievements. He has like X amount of aces on split. Maybe we leave B site alone, you know? Yeah, I, I feel like that is the kind of stuff that is uh, people love to um, get a get that get that kind of Boy Scout style badge, like the the way that Boy Scouts, at least in the movies, I I suppose they do this of like you created forty forest fires and you get like the forest fire badge, right? Like you should it, video games have always kind of banked on that of like giving you a reward over time and uh rewarding you for what you've done and what that your play style is like that is an important element to video games these days and this game just really lacks that like i'm surprised that there's not stuff like that i'm surprised that when you're loading into a game there isn't uh, a way to display badges of like uh, uh, the kind of stuff i've done i have a uh, hundred unranked kill uh uh wins with uh sky or something you know like those are the kind of things that i would want to just like an apex and i would want to be able to like display that kind of stuff and and show like how much stuff i've kind of worked on or how much my count has progressed yeah but, so, so maybe so you know this is a game that's going to keep growing we have the second act coming up which is kind of like a a new a new chapter so we'll see maybe some of this stuff gets added yeah interested in in just seeing like what they can do like to make it feel like bigger than a chapter. Yeah. So let's see. Let's just see how it goes, right? Yeah. Yeah. And and, and so one thing that is very different about Persona 5 compared to uh, Persona 4 Golden, which we're about to talk about, is Persona 5 takes place in a, like a city, right? Like it's, is it Tokyo? Yeah. Or, it's or is it it's so, Tokyo? It's like, Tokyo. Like, uh, you go to Shibuya and it and everything like that. So, so, yeah, it's taking place in this, like, super busy area that's, like, packed with tons of people. Whereas in Persona 4 Golden, which just released this year for Windows, kind of a surprise release. They kind of just dropped it out of nowhere. Uh, it's such, like, a cozy, small, intimate town. It, it kind of does have, like, a, a Twin Peaks vibe to it. And, and I guess it's not even, like, a vibe. Like, it is very Twin Peaksy in this... Uh, small town murder mystery with like these supernatural strange vibes to it uh where you're sort of playing as this detective and trying to figure out what's going on and who's causing these murders and yeah. who the killer is teddy is like the log lady teddy is is he i guess so who is it, it? I, I feel like teddy is one is like a is is a even more twin peaksian character of just one of those bizarre offbeat weird characters that is constantly surprising you with how bizarre they are. So you didn't play Persona 4 Golden, right? Like when you no, I finished Persona 4. 4, you Persona 4. Just the... Yes. Yeah. Persona 4 Golden, I believe, came out on PS like Vita or something. I think it was I a PS Vita exclusive. Yeah, it never went to consoles. And when I I played Persona 4, 
uh, the, just the original. One. I, I don't. So I'm I'm not entirely sure what kind of additions. I know they probably added extra um, social links, and I forgot exactly yeah. what we were talking about. What that that you knew that they added. No, well, there's definitely new social links. Um, there's a new character that hangs out in the Velvet Room uh, that you have like a a social link with, or a romanceable character, and also they have sort of like their own dungeon related to them. Uh, there's an end of the year ski trip, and there's a bunch of other like holiday things uh, that are peppered throughout. That that are, I mean, I I couldn't tell you what the game would be like without them because I didn't not have them. Uh, but I but I thought that it would be hard going from Persona Five to Persona Four because I knew that Five was such an evolution, and there are definitely some things that make Persona Four feel dated. But overall, I I was very impressed with it. I you know I spent like over a hundred hours playing it. Link should be a testament. Like I, I completed the game. I completed like the secret dungeons at the end. I I think that the story holds up extremely well. Uh, just a, a really, really fantastic story with like some some really in- interesting things happening towards the end. And like even if you think that the gameplay is a little bit like dated, like which it's not by the way, like it feels like totally good and it feels totally slick. But the 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 story will definitely pull you through this. And and also absolutely the the best music that I heard this year. Uh, Aside from maybe one or two songs in Hades that take the cake, but the the music in this game, like all Persona games, is just really amazing. Yeah, I really like that Persona. That that's a phenomenal Persona game, and I feel like Persona Four was really when it's uh, five owes everything to four because four is the literal. I mean, very literally, the bridge between uh, three and five, and those games have evolved so much over time. And I think Persona Four. Even though Persona 3 is within that same vein, like I think Persona 4 is was really getting to uh, where uh, they wanted that the series to go, and then 5 was the full realization of that. Yeah. And it wouldn't exist without all the cool stuff that happened in 4. What is Hyperscape? I forget. Did you forget already? Um, I did forget. I never played the... I think if this is, is this a first-person shooter that's like a Quake kind of game? No. But that's funny, so... Dan Reichert is doing, did a game of the year with um, Mike Mahardy and Mary Kish. And they had um, a award for most forgettable game or game that I forgot came out. And two games that were so forgettable that they forgot to put on their list were Crucible and Hyperscape. So Hyperscape is a first person shooter battle royale um, with some extreme mobility some very very cool mobility uh so essentially you are dropped into this super futuristic city and from there you're sort of doing the um the battle royale thing of picking up different weapons and they had like some interesting cool like futuristic weapons uh and one of the cool things about this game is that the weapons don't get attachments but as you find multiple of the same weapon you're leveling it up so it's kind of interesting because if you choose to run with like a fairly common pistol, like you could level that up much faster than you could one of the bigger weapons and get something pretty powerful out of a basic. Uh, and in addition to that, you're also building out your kit with perks. And these were super cool. These were things like uh, super speed, being able to create like a barrier, being able to do like a massive, like a, like a, uh, did you play like Saints Row? Uh, four where you had the superpowers. Yeah. 
they had like this one where you did like this massive jump where you're like bounding over buildings and like they did like an impact slam. So Hyperscape had all of this cool stuff. It felt really good to play. The downside of this game and the reason why I was kind of immediately turned off for it is because the environment is so bland where essentially there is this sprawling city where almost all the buildings look very similar. You go into the buildings to find weapons, but all of the insides of the buildings are like copy and pasted where it's like you're running up this stairway and in this area on every stairway, there's going to be a gun or a power up and then you run to this floor and it's like the same thing. So, and I think that that's like a death knell where you have other games like PUBG and Fortnite and Apex Legends where the areas are so memorable and interesting that going to a game like this and the, the cityscape is so bland uh, that it was kind of a bummer. Um, I, I do wonder if they've changed it. I know that recently Hyperscape did add a team deathmatch mode, and, and I would actually be pretty curious about diving back into it just to see uh, what that looks like and if it's any good. Because like I said, the gameplay was pretty cool, like the different perks and like the different movement abilities. And do you want to sacrifice having a movement ability for having like a cloak or a barrier those were interesting choices to make yeah i'm looking um, at the gameplay right now on, on a youtube video my first win on hyperscape but hold on um hyperscape is back player numbers increased 10 times with epic update six days ago Ooh, i mean that's pretty good so i i think that i would be willing to revisit this game but i thought that it was very poor first showing i i think that it's aesthetically interesting like the setup for the game is cool where you are in this like futuristic internet and there is like this is considered like a competition that happens where you're like jacking in and going into this world and it's kind of neat like i think the skins are neat i think that the the layout of the city like actually is pretty interesting it's just that the interiors of everything kind of like look very samey damn ign gave it a five yeah i mean it's bland you know I don't know what they... Is this on Steam or is this on probably Epic or something like that, right? This is like an Ubisoft, like on the Uplay or whatever, right? Man, that'll never stop hurting these games. You really have to have something ridiculously special and and put an incredible amount of marketing money behind some of these games to make them work if you're going to run them on a different platform than Steam. I feel like it's just way easier with Steam. Yeah, they have to be like Riot Games. Yeah. Or Fortnite, apparently. Well, that's epic game. Because like, there's some games this year that uh, that I am interested in, but I'm just just can generally kind of just waited till they would come out on on Steam. The Pathless is a game that is right up my alley um, from the makers of Abzu, I believe, and I didn't play it this year because it came out on Epic Store, and I just don't go on that. I just like generally don't go on. It. I actually went yeah. on it yesterday though to download Dauntless. I'm actually okay with the Epic Store because they have it's not um, so bad. They do a free game every day uh, for the holidays, so I've just been scooping up all those free games that I'll probably never play. But who knows? Maybe one day. <laughs> I played Death Stranding on PC, which had its release, even though it didn't come out uh, originally. It came out for consoles in 2019. Um, but I played it uh, July 14th this year, and it was okay. I mean, it, it, it's definitely unique, and there's nothing like it, and it's hard to even understand the ridiculousness of it. Even when I was reading reviews and had all this time 
between when it launched and it was kind of not what people are expecting and then I got a chance to play it. And then even yeah. then, um, there is a... The game falls prey to its own kind of conceits where it is uh, so interesting how you uh, start out in these areas and you're a courier, you're just basically like an Amazon delivery person and you go from one town to the next delivering what they want, like medicine and food and stuff like that. Um, and it, the game is just meant to make you feel generally powerless like the enemies kind of can just screw with you badly you don't really you don't really have a gun or anything you're not like running around as an action star you're just running away from things and you're afraid and if you take a wrong step somewhere or you go down a hill that's too steep too quickly you just drop all your stuff and you have to walk around and pick it up and it gets damaged and you get bad reviews and that kind of stuff is like a wild uh thing to attempt but it also uh meets with some kind of frustration what's the actual genre I don't know. Like, it's action. No. Oh my god. Come on, you know the genre. Oh, a um, strand. Yeah, this is according to Hideo Kojima. This is the first strand type game. The genre is strand. I played sixty six minutes of this game, and honestly, I'd be willing to play more. Like, I'd be willing to play. Like, I. It's hard to fit a game like this into my life because. It's like, is this a game that I'm playing while I'm watching TV? It, it has like hour-long cutscenes, but in between these hour-long cutscenes, you're kind of just running around. So I, I don't know. Am I playing this game when I want a story? Am I playing this game when I want something like dynamic and like actiony? Like, so you don't have anything else to say about Death Stranding, huh? No, I mean, I stopped. Yeah, I, I played. I think like 20 hours or so of it. And Would you ever go back to it? I don't think so. I don't think it's a good use of my time always. Like they're, it's it's quite rewarding to make some of the longer trips and there's really nothing like some of the feelings of it, but uh, for of, of succeeding in it. And there's nothing like the feelings of failing in it as well. And I appreciate that. I think that it's an important game and, and the people who will like it will really, really like it. Um, it, it, it kind of is similar to that uh, uh, Demon Souls or Dark Souls style of heavy, heavy punishment. Like, we're not going to hold your hand, and if you fail, it is quite a time investment sometimes to get back what you've, what the, you've lost with that mistake. Um, like, you, you can be traveling and have to deliver something, and uh, enemies can knock you out and take what you ha- what you had, and then you have to now sneak into their camp and get it back and you have no equipment to really do anything special or keep yourself safe and this whole thing is like an added extra 30 minutes onto that trip you were already taking so it it, it didn't have to happen if you didn't get caught so the game certainly like I, i i do appreciate those things um especially theoretically and sometimes when you don't feel like you have time or you just want to relax that's not the kind of thing that you want um so so uh so i feel like it is an interesting game uh, i also think that um it, it, it is the classic hideo kojima uh exposition dump the game is just always and th- they use the same like it always frustrates me in K- kojima games where he likes to use the same like lingo and the char- half the characters have like the same kind of names there's like a dead man die hard man like why in in the in like the first three characters I think that's kind of fun like it's it's just 
it, it, it some of it's weird um i like the silliness of that it, it, i I, I, something, I appreciate the silliness endearing. like like that's endearing and like if we talk about endearing like there is something endearing about that yeah there is something endearing about all of kojima's games and and there it's 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 like kojima is death stranding if you want to look at it like that is the real spiritual successor to deadly premonition to the actual deadly premonition it's it's a game that is uh somewhat baffling the story is certainly unique and is a driver but from the actual gameplay um you're you're kind of often confused and baffled by what you're being asked to do um and there's a lot of cool things that are unique and and interesting about it and it, it is especially if if people can find it at a lower price uh, i feel like it's worth checking out for just the fact that there is nothing ever like it and maybe will never be again but it is like yeah. it is a game that's gonna not work for a lot of people and for a few select few people are going to really really love this so you think that's it you you don't think that this will turn into like a bigger like, i feel like it's done I, feel, I, I can't imagine that there's going to be another one of it yeah i i just can't separate this game from hearing dan Riker talk about it where he was like he loves hideo kojima and just like this is his least favorite game that's maybe ever existed and how brutal he was on it and yeah, I think that even outside of being like this game is not like Hideo Kojima's like past games like yeah Metal Metal Gear Solid like despite being as insane as it was, uh, it wasn't a bad it, game. It, it, it was it, not that it was a bad. It was it was a fairly like the gameplay of it was understandable and not such a departure from mainstream gaming. Well, yeah, I mean Metal Gear Solid kind of defined stealth action. <laughs> Or yeah. Metal Gear Solid just generally defines stealth games and still is one of the best stealth games of all time. The, the rules, Metal Gear generally does a very good job with the rules. I think that's a hard thing for stealth games to handle a lot of cases because uh, in a lot of games that don't um, really go directly in a stealth route, but they allow you to do like RPGs, sometimes like even Dishonored doesn't always do a good job with this, um, but RPGs that allow give you the stealth option but aren't entirely focused on stealth sometimes fail because the rules can be kind of wonky or ai can be kind of wonky and metal gear ha is is only about that and and in in doing so it succeeds like i i usually find stealth to be really frustrating in a lot of games because you spend a lot of time watching enemy movements and then you make one mistake and everything kind of collapses in um, but uh, in Metal Gear Solid, the the rules are more set. You kind of know why you would do well or why you would fail. There's there's the the, the pathways are very direct. It's more of a puzzle. Like you, once you've figured out what timing you should move on the guard's route, then you're rewarded for that. Rather than just kind of messier things where you're like, I didn't know the AI I could see that far. You know. So yeah. So speaking of stealth games, you've played uh, Ghost of Tsushima, which was another game that uh, has been pretty pretty uh critically acclaimed um and, and it's curious to me because this is a game that to me kind of looks like other games in this in this genre so I, i'm interested in hearing from you what the differentiators are for ghost of tsushima yeah ghost of tsushima is a, is a really cool game and you know when you were talking about the most forgotten games i really thought immediately of ghost of tsushima like i do often forget that i did play that this year and that that came out and that's not entirely their fault because uh it's uh it, it is it's a much better game than any uh trailer or any 
um, gameplay of it would let on. Uh, it, it is it is a really really good game. It is one of the best. Like, I, I don't know if you know this, but you uh, frequently do this thing where you will. You're you're pretty hyperbolic, which which I'm I, sure I, I'm very well aware of that. But so you're often saying like as you're playing something, you'll say this is my game of the year. I didn't say and that. When Ghost of Tsushima came out, you you did say that this will probably be your game of the year. It's on it's on the list. Okay, because I remember specifically. I I would have to go I, back and listen to that because I'm surprised. Like I I don't think it that... wasn't on the podcast, but it was uh, Galloway and I uh, were hanging out. We were um, setting up for Valorant. I specifically remember I was messing around in the training room of Valorant doing aiming exercises. And you were talking about how Ghost of Tsushima is your game of the year. You know, I, I really like games that uh, do a good job. First of all, I, I am really drawn to aesthetics. So games that have a cohesive aesthetic style or are always visually impressing you with the way that they look um, are uh, like I gravitate toward that kind of thing. And I, I really like games that let you that, that do a good job immersing you. I think some games try and do that and don't always succeed, and some games kind of do it more effortlessly. And this game is do- definitely those two things. Like overall, uh, it, the, the the kind of thi- the the kind of stuff you would see in a trailer uh, for Ghost of Tsushima is th- exactly what you'd expect from any other video game. You'd probably see that it has uh, somewhat Arkham style of combat where you kind of get. Um, uh, surrounded by people and you're attacking uh you're doing like x in this direction and, and y or, or triangle in this direction kind of stuff sure. um and that there's going to be a talent tree for stealth and uh gadgets and all this kind of stuff and none of that is remotely surprising to anyone and and it's kind of a problem because i don't think that ghost of tsushima uh really has one standout unique mechanic so i understand it being kind of a hard sell, like just saying it's incredibly gorgeous and it is the best samurai game that has ever been released. I think that people have wanted that for a long time. People have wanted, this is a, this is the Red Dead of samurai games. This is like a last samurai, like the, uh, it's the same, it's a generally kind of similar story where it's taking place at the end of an era. Like it's the, the main character is struggling with like his whole life has he has been brought up to have like respect honor and he understands honor in the terms that these like ancient this ancient japanese code and is confused by the fact that uh the invading uh mongols are do, don't care about that rule set and that, that that is a weird thing for him because he still has like this uncle that doesn't really fight on the battlefield. But from where he sits, he's like, we should still have honor because we're not, not going to be any better than them. So it's kind of a, a, a similar story. But more importantly, you it, it's similar to the way that I felt when I played Red Dead 1 and I did not play fail as much when I played Red Dead 2. And that is that like the environment is so immediately immersive that it's like you... it's the kind of game that makes you want to like trot your horse kind of because you're you're like this is what the character would do it's the kind of game that makes it so that you're not when you go into a city or a village you want to walk slow because it it feels weird to just like run around and gamify it like it it almost 
it's it's one of those games that just makes you impose kind of like limits on yourself for what you think the character would do or what makes sense thematically yeah. and and like that's kind of a rare game to do those kind of things uh so did you did you finish this game did i you, did did you do it? yeah i did it was fair. Is, fairly there, is there more to do, or you feel like you got you got your fill? It was pretty you know, long, right? You know that it is. It is fairly long. You know what's crazy is that this game got a completely free update that I don't even know if you know anything about because I find I this do. absolutely yeah, it's bizarre. Got it's got a co-op yeah. and it's got like dungeons and raids and like this whole gear system and classes. This is insane for me to to have finished this game and I finished it before this kind of like major update and then they added that it was a very by the numbers you know um open world uh action rpg kind of thing that that you'd expect a, a very similar like you're going around the map and here's one of those fox things there's a fox shrine you're gonna see a fox and the fox runs away there's like six of these different things kind of things you do um you chop down bamboo th- uh to gain resolve and all this kind of stuff so you're just kind of doing the same uh you see the same places marked on your map that you could go do uh, like a little event at, and then to finish this game and for the game to get a free update where there was classes and a raid and it's kind of being like Destiny. It's it's kind of having like a loot game and that there's bosses that require like M- MMO style uh, strategy and like raid planning is bizarre. Like I did not imagine that that was the direction that they wanted to take this game in. And it was v- quite well received and for, it was a free update. So it's not like you needed to buy this DLC to get in. Like if you just had the game, like the, the game itself was enough of a buy that I'm, I am I, I still feel like I should just check this out for just to see what was going on with this bizarre choice. But um, that's a pretty cool thing. I wonder if they want to turn this into more like that. I wonder if they want to release that component as a free-to-play component, um, expand that out into its own thing, and then have this samurai action have this destiny component where you're you're doing uh raids and dungeons and weeklies and dailies in the ghost of tsushima world so um that's a bizarre that's a bizarre thing the main thing i liked about ghost of tsushima is just that there is no game that looks this good like it really is i that i have been consistent and like i i am often hyperbolic and i remember just nonstop how I'm impressed with the the way this game looks. It looks like postcards all the time. The amount of times that just the different areas or different time of day or different weather would just make me fully stop and look at like, is this something that's happening purposefully or am I getting a chance to look at, like even just the fact that you could, you're in this big open world and you could see uh, a lake from different angles is like am i one of the few people that that stood here and looked at the lake from this angle while the sun set and was reflected off of it while the fog was creeping down over here and like these beautiful lavender uh field was to my right like everything was so picturesque and looked like a postcard in a way that the game just and it was doing this constantly like it, it, it never. You think that it would. They would kind of run. You would run out of that wonder of how you felt that the world looked just so beautiful early on. But in a like a seventy-hour game, I managed to end up feeling like that all throughout. Like even by the end, I was still impressed by how unique they managed to make this world look. And yeah. it was. It's incredible. Like actually, that they did that. It, that's yeah, that's what pretty... made this game worthwhile. 
for me. I feel pretty similarly about the way that like uh, the lighting and reflection works in cyberpunk, but I, I think that that also speaks to um, the end of the generation, right? Where people have really mastered uh, this console hardware and they know all of the tricks to make it look really beautiful. And and I think that it's going to be a while before we see like the full ev evolution of, of what this looks like in the next generation. Um, yeah, so I think that this game also came out at the at the right time in the console's lifespan, where they really knew how to work with that tech and make it look the way that it looks. It really does. It really and is a wild game. Obviously, like the artistic standpoint is is different, and it's really excelling there as well. So those are all the games for. I believe that was July, right? Man, this is a long list. There's this is a, a long list, huh? Uh, that was no that was no that was july, that was july. Okay, so we're gonna, we're gonna do august in our next segment but for now uh for the viewers for the listeners the users the, consumers, the users the i like it uh, they're they're gonna be i like uh, to say the users. it's gonna be a small break for them but a big break for us so, well i, I mean we'll probably release these separately so the first one Ooh. and the second one can be can be yeah launch somewhat and i and i do think you know we've we've got our predictions podcast which we always love we should I think we have to check out what we said last year. I think that's always pretty fun. Of... Oh yeah, I forgot. I got it. I do have to. I love listening to the predictions. I feel like this was not a year. Well, we'll have to get into it. That. I don't want to. I don't want to spoil that. But it, I don't feel like a lot of our predictions would have worked out this year. I felt like. Well, we couldn't have predicted the pandemic. So, I mean, once that happens, everything else that comes out is kind of like you know, like we didn't plan for that. So I'm gonna get so one of us has to get points if either of us mentioned Wuhan at all because i don't think it was it was on my radar as a thing that existed but i didn't think that it would come to america in quite this way i was researching it for work and around february i was like this is going to be a problem and i was talking about it at, at work and I, I can't get into the specifics of why and what clients but i i was essentially like this is a huge problem uh, you know, we should be taking this more seriously. And I got like shrugged off by a couple of people. Yeah. I'm just like, you're crazy. Except for my CEO, who was like totally sold on it. It was like, yeah, this is going to be a huge problem. <laughs> yeah. You know, what's what's insane. I'll never forget that, uh, that you, your company was one of the first, was, the, was the first I had heard in my life. And that was taking, that was, that removed to an entirely remote, uh, workplace, and that was before, like, that was, and, and you guys did that in a time that that would have been considered kind of crazy. Like, that was a little bit before and uh, everyone started to do that and before just the entire lockdowns and quarantines and everything. So that was really coming at a time where that felt, like, too much. Like, when I first heard that, I was like, damn, James is so lucky, like, that they're that ridiculous. Like, what is, like, that's, but, but that's I so... And a week before they stopped, they, they closed down, I wouldn't go in. I was just like, I'm, like a week before my company even closed down, I was not going to go in anymore. I was like, I'm going to stay home until. There was still like a month and a half, I think, after that, that, that before everyone got on board and before there was the actual mandates and things were shutting down. So there was such a long time where, where you were like, yep, we are already shut down and I don't go to physical office space anymore. And I think that was still at the time that people were like, that's crazy. I'm still going to work. This is not, it's not going to come over here like that. And even if it does, it'll, we'll, we'll beat it, you know? Yeah. So yeah. I'm, I'm eager to hear the predictions. I want to hear my own predictions, but I, I think that 20, 2020 was an amazing year for me. And, you know, we'll get into this more, but I think that 2021 for me is going to be even bigger and even crazier. All right. That's it for July. 
WTGPodcast.com. That's where this podcast lives. It's called What's the Deal with Games? Uh, this is our Game of the Year podcast, as you probably know at this point. You can also find us on Twitter at sign WTDG podcast. And you could also find us on your favorite streaming apps, your favorite music apps, such as Spotify, such as iTunes, or just subscribe to the RSS. And, uh, you know, you could rate, comment, and subscribe to the show where applicable. Thank you, Ryan Galloway and uh, Not Crying Bumper for the use of music. We used an intro and outro pop off. Oh, my God. You Please. can get it off the new album, Pop Songs 2020. You can find them on YouTube, where you'll find the links to all their merch, including... Uh, pins, shirts, and vinyl records. and I did it earlier in this cast, too. Like, I did it fine earlier in the cast. Yeah, you ran out of your energy. All right, thanks, Ryan. Thank you, James. Take it sleazy. Take it sleazy.